Hey, Pac-12 fans, let me tell you about Robinhood, an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy, and it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive. There's a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way on the app, plus there's no cost or commission fees. Other brokerages could charge up to 10 bucks for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees and you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus it's an easy to use design. They're easy to understand charts and market data. So you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. It's really easy to use. Special though, all of our listeners here on the podcast of champions, Robinhood is going to give you all of our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. So you can sign up now at champions.robinhood.com. Sign up now, champions.robinhood.com. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. Got the bowl season started. We're going to do another bowl preview, and we got a really special guest today. Do you have any comments? We just love to hear from all you guys. You can tweet us at Pac-12Podcast. If you want to email us, Pac12podcast at gmail.com. That's the email address. Our website is pac12podcast.com. And if you'd like to call or text us, you can do that by calling or texting 424-532-0678. You can use that on your phone. Your phone can actually call you millennials out there. It actually calls people if you want to do that. It's not just for Googling things and uh, and doing all that kind of stuff. Kids don't call nowadays, Dave. I'm I'm a millennial. You know that, right? Ugh. Like millennials, millennials, when you think about millennials, you're thinking about like people in their like early to mid thirties now, right? Really? Just 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 throwing that out to you. I'm just, like you, you can throw it right back if you want, but that's 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 <laughs> what it is. All right. So those of us pushing fifty, I don't I don't even know what I am, but something like that. Um well we got a special guest, like I said, David. I'm very excited. So uh we've had Three weeks in a row, we've had some big guests out there. Uh, this week, John Wilner is joining us again. So he's with the Bay Area News Group. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Wilner Hotline, W-I-L-N-E-R. You have to, have to, have to be on the Pac-12 Hotline newsletter for sure. Get that to your coming to your inbox. John does a great job of all of that, covering the Pac-12. And for some reason, he likes our show. He likes coming on. So we're going to bring him back because he's great at what he does. John, thanks again for coming on. I wanted to come in and talk to David about free throw shooting. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. UCLA can't do that. They, they can't, they can't do a lot on the basketball court these days, but free throw shooting, definitely not in the cards. Woo. I guess we'll stick to Pac-12 football. is probably a better topic than Pac-12 basketball. It's neck and neck, but yeah, we gotta, we got we gotta talk to football. Um, so, uh, all right. So, the, the elephant in the room. Pac-12 has already started 0 and 1. 
what's what's are we thinking it's going to be another what would this be what are there seven teams bowl eligible one and six what do we think boy given uh, you know i think they're gonna end up winning three or four games even with that asu loss i mean stanford should beat pitt uh, that's the kind of game where if the pac-12 loses they gotta they you know just shut down um I, I like, I think Washington state's got a good chance. I think Oregon's got a good chance. You know, they're, they have good, good chances, Utah for sure. Uh, in enough games that the odds are, you know, kind of a, that they'll win a few that they you can't be as bad as you were last year. Right. Reversion to the mean. That's the PAC 12 slogan for the postseason. <laughs> Reversion to the mean. Just like slightly below average as opposed to, Pitiful, right? Is that or or slightly below go. average instead of ferocious? Yes, David's word. Exactly. Can't be as bad as it was. <laughs> I think Utah, Pac-12 fans. Okay, you should be confident in Utah because Kyle Whittingham is what eleven and one or something in bowl games. Like he's like ridiculous, like better than Saban, better than everybody. Uh, but you look at the rest of them, and you, you know you don't think, oh, Pac-12 should win this one. Pac-12 should win this one. But we've seen this before, and it's like, oh well, a few breaks go the wrong way. Like even Arizona State, they were they were in that game for sure, and then uh, you know Fresno State just showed them who the better team was in the second half. But if you're a Pac-12 fan, I still would be a little worried, John, that this this could continue to go south and be even worse than than the mean. Well, I mean, you got you should be you should be worried, but it's just objectively, it's just it's hard to believe that it will they'll have a repeat of that. Just there, there's too many teams that have a good enough chance to win statistically that, that just, but I mean, Utah and Stanford alone right there, that, that should be two wins. Then you throw in, throw in Washington state or maybe Cal, you know, I could see Cal doing it. Uh, that's a, that's a fairly even game. It'll be like 10 to nine. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's enough. I, I think the, you know, you look though and, and, the game that matters the most is that's a tough one to envision the Pac-12 winning. And uh, I think if the Huskies, they just need to at least be close, right? I mean, if they get run off the field, then it almost doesn't matter what else happens because that's the showcase game. And, and they've got to, they got to act like they they got to show everybody they can play. So uh, the Vegas Bowl is an interesting one for me. Um, our our friend Andrew, who's a longtime listener of the podcast, um, he he tweeted at us all, all three of us actually, uh, a day ago. Um, it, it's always kind of a tough matchup because you've got the Mountain West champion, which is especially in recent times usually a pretty damn good team, uh, going against what is it? The Pac-12's number five or number six, depending on the year. Um, do you yep. get the, is this a good bull matchup or is this something that you've got to hope for the PAC 12 that it gets upgraded a little bit with the, you know, the new Vegas stadium and everything? Yeah, it's a, it is not a good matchup because in a lot of cases you're going to have a PAC 12 team that is had aimed for higher, uh, and you're going to have a motiv- motivated mountain West opponent, you know, last year, Oregon had just changed coaches what they weren't ready to play. Uh, this year, ASU goes in there basically missing their best player on offense and their best player on defense uh, against a, a well-coached team. It's a tough matchup. One more year, I think, we'll have. And then, in theory, the Vegas Bowl will be up to, you know, be at the Raiders Stadium. I don't know if it's going to be number two on the Pac-12 pecking order, but you'd think it would be, 
you know, three or four. And for sure, uh, it's not going to have the Mountain West. I mean, they're going to they're going to bring in whether it's Big Twelve, SEC, or Big Ten. They're going to bring in a Power Five opponent in that game, and uh, it'll it'll the whole dynamic will be different. John, you wrote about uh, Jeff Tedford, who's done just a remarkable job at Fresno State. I covered that team when Tim DeRuiter was there for a couple of years when they were good with their car. Then, you know, after those those initial you know, star players weren't there. Uh, I just don't think the recruiting was really up the snuff and they kind of ignored the Central Valley where there's a lot of talent coming out of, you know, that Bakersfield, the whole area up there in Fresno. Um, but to go from one and 11 to, to 10 wins and then 12 wins is, I mean, that makes Sark turn around at, at uh, Washington just look like nothing, you know, just pales in comparison. Uh, and I know you wrote about, you know, a Pac-12 team really needing to go after uh, Jeff Tedford, I, do you think that's going to happen? Because that's his alma mater. I know he's had some some health things in the past. He seems pretty happy there. Like I didn't feel like he took that job as a stepping stone, but I think Pac-12 teams would be foolish not to try to go after this guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he would necessarily leave, but you would think that at some point here with half the teams in the conference having changed coaches in the last 13 months, that somebody would – you know, make a serious run at him or maybe in the next year or two, you know, at least make the attempt, at least give him something to think about in terms of leaving Fresno. Uh, he's, he's one of the, in my opinion, he's one of the two, three, four best coaches in the West, um, proven success in the PAC 12. Yeah. I don't know exactly what his health issues are right now. I mean, I know he had them. He seems all indications are that he's healthy. It's just, I think the PAC 12 would be a better conference if he was in it as a head coach somewhere. And he hadn't lost the touch, you know, at Cal, he just, he was there too long. And that sometimes that happens even to really good coaches. You end up after you get past year five or six, you get measured against your early success. Your message gets stale. Things get comfortable. You know, Cal had other issues as well. Uh, I just don't think that any Pac-12 school should look at what happened in the last two or three years of his tenure at Cal and use that as the basis to say, yeah, we'll pass. We'll look somewhere else. I, I think that's a big mistake. So Somebody needs to, to make a run at the guy. He's, he's too good a coach. And he, let's, he also got, he got a help, some help from Oregon State, let's face it, with their quarterback decision, you know, in the summer of, 2017, I guess yep. it was with Marcus McMarion. I mean, he McMarion should have been their starter the last last year, and and instead they make a decision with Luton, and McMarion leaves, and he finds a home with Tedford. It's a perfect fit. And he's led him to you know 22 wins, and uh, yeah, but you got to have that right if you're going to make a quick turnaround somewhere. You you need to get a couple of breaks, and he did, and he's he's a terrific coach, and. The, the conference would be better if he were in it. Yeah, and that that Oregon State co uh, quarterback carousel has actually been a sneaky, interesting thing to watch because they also picked the uh, the great Seth Collins, um, who I have no idea where he is now, um, over McMarion as well that year. I mean, they've had some... I mean, <laughs> they had an option there who's turned out to be pretty good. So um, maybe some self-inflicted wounds up there in Corvallis. Um, I want to touch in on, uh, something you linked in your hotline newsletter. So if, if you don't subscribe to John's hotline newsletter, uh, do so it's great. Um, 
you linked this uh, article about, uh, I think it's from Athletic Director U with three media experts talking about the Pac-12 media deal. And it was interesting because they all, I mean, to a person seemed more positive about it than really any of the punditry and us, I think, included um, about it. What was your take on their take? Do you buy it that basically um, the Pac-12 networks being wholly owned by the conference is a net very good thing and might turn out really well in 2024? I think it could turn out well, um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a fairly nuanced situation. I don't think it's, to me, the calculation isn't necessarily owning your network versus not. Uh, I don't, I don't and didn't necessarily think it was a big mistake for them to own their own network. What I think is the biggest mistake is they got six regional feeds that are showing stuff nobody's watching and, and eating up expenses, you know, and, and the profitability factor is affected by all those regional feeds. They way overshot their audience thinking that they should do six, seven total feeds, 850 live events, all that kind of stuff. If they had stayed lean, now whether it was a big 10 model where they partner with Fox has 51% and handles the production and there's one network and they show all the, the choice content, that, that was an option whether Fox owned them or whether the Pac-12 owned 100%. But that's totally different than what they did with this sprawling uh, organization that is is not efficient and is not, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's too much for the audience. There's just not enough interest in all that stuff. And if they had one network with three or 400 live events, I think, I think things would have been a lot different. Now, what's going to happen in the future? Good question. I mean, I had heard and, and read some of, some of that stuff before, you know, the farther away you get from the front lines, whether it's the media or the fans, or the coaches or the athletic directors, the farther away you get, the longer your view, the more optimistic you would be, you know, you get to the president, you get to the commissioner's office, you get to the media industry and you end up with a little bit longer view. And you think, well, yeah, they, there's a, a media company there that, that some, some player in four or five years may have, whether it's Amazon or Fox or whoever may have some interest in partnering with or buying. I could see that for sure, but we don't know exactly how it's going to come down. And we know that they've going to have to have a good enough deal that it makes up for all the money that they've lost over this 12 years period. Uh, and we also know that frankly, the content that the market has said is valuable is the content that ESPN and Fox already own, which is 44 football games, right? I mean, the market has spoken about everything that's on the Pac-12 networks. There's not much interest. So when Larry Scott talks about, you know, all of their content being available for, for negotiation in 2024 and what a great position that puts the conference in, that's, that's partly right. But the, the content that really matters is those Fox and ESPN football games. And I'm not sure how much, you know, how great of an audience there's going to be for the Olympic sports and the second tier uh, stuff for, for football and, and men's basketball. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I think that's an important thing for keep, people to keep in mind as you, you look ahead is 
Fox and ESPN have told us what really matters and it's what they've got and how, you know, that's what's going to determine the value of that content is what's going to determine that next media deal. John, I'm going to have to correct you because Larry Scott did say that this was run very efficiently. So you must be incorrect <laughs> that it's not run. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's, um, <laughs> I think it's inefficient for their audience. I mean, I don't know how you can make the case. I mean, they're putting on basically 500 Olympic sports events that are generating and 99.9% .9 of them are generating, you know, basically a thousand or less eyeballs. I'm not sure how you could call it at, at a cost. The cost for those 25,000 to 50,000, it depends on the event, depends on the HD, SD, all that stuff. But those are tens of thousands of dollars for most of the events that, that 750 people are watching. So I don't know wow. that I would say that that's necessarily that, <laughs> that efficient. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being approximate on that, but, but I've seen some of the TV ratings and, and, most of those events don't even register. Joe, the, 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 I mean, you brought up a good point with when they do the renegotiation and maybe it's Amazon or somebody steps in. And I think the Pac-12 could get a good deal. But what you've done is locked yourself up for 12 years. And I don't think, like you mentioned, I don't think you could make up for, you know, the first couple of years it was really good and then it's been bad ever since. Are you, you're making up for like a decade of losing out uh, for like a slightly better deal in 2024. It's just, I don't even see if it is better, if it does work out and like, yeah, it was great to own your own network. I still can't see it being much better than like what the SEC network has or the big 10 network, but also certainly not enough to make up for all the lost revenue from the, the 10 years prior. Well, yeah, that's the big question. And, and, you know, if you start adding it up and you figure that it's been a few million dollars per school per year, that they haven't been able to generate because of the, the, the course they took. Well, over 12 years, you're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think that th there may be, there may be uh, interest in, in that content for sure. But on, someone explained it to me this way. In the conference office, they got to wait six years for that new new media deal. Six years is six years in downtown San Francisco. But on the campuses, it's 42 because it's like dog years. Because on the front lines, life is very different. Day-to-day uh, -day management of expenses, uh, the pressures, uh, the, the arms race is very different on the campuses than it is in the conference office. And these are going to be a long five or six years uh, on the front lines. And that's something that people need to remember is, is what, what is that money? You know, how can that money be used? And, and all the time that the, the campuses have to wait for some of that cash. And in some cases you're talking several million dollars per year per school that can do a lot for, for how you schedule your football games for your, your football staff, and it's not a lot compared to university budgets, but it is significant amount for the athletic departments. There's, there's no question about that. So it's going to, it's going to take a while to get to that point. I mean, 2024, unless they can somehow renegotiate early, you know, the new deal isn't going to kick in until the fall of 2024. That's, that's a long time to wait. Yeah. With um, <clears throat> something that got brought up in that article, which I think is kind of worth noting and considering, is the idea that Pac-12 just inherently 
isn't and doesn't have the the potential um, revenue that the SEC or the Big Ten would um, have just because footprint, fan interest, a whole bunch of other stuff. Do we so at peak with the current TV deal, what's it going to be? The Pac-12 is going to be bringing in, I don't know, X percentage of what the SEC is making. Isn't it like 60 percent, something like that? Or I think it's like 30. It depends on if you're just talking about the, you know, the tier one deals with the ESPN and Fox, right? And the SEC's tier one, or if you're adding in the Pac-12 network well, as well. And then are you talking about conference total conference distribution like March Madness? Or are you just talking about media? So it's hard. It's hard. Uh, you really have to drill down and find an apples to apples comparison. But I think Larry Scott got a very good deal for the conference with Fox and ESPN. The timing was perfect. If you recall, media rights were soaring. He expanded, which was very smart to generate more inventory. They're at the negotiating table. Comcast at that point has, has bought NBC is interested in getting into the sports world, sports, you know, more live sports. They show up at the negotiating table. They make a bid ESPN and Fox uh, suddenly look at each other like we, we can't afford to lose this content. So they team up and, and outbid Comcast. I mean, it was a perfect storm for them. And uh, you got to give Scott credit for sure. Uh, they got a very good deal, very good deal with that. Uh, and that's, you know, but they're never going to have uh, a w- one-to-one deal with ESPN and Fox compared to the Big Ten and the SEC because of the eyeballs. I mean, just look at the top 20 metered markets in any given year, and the Pac-12 is going to, for a college football, Pac-12 is going to have two or three. You know, Salt Lake will show up, Portland will show up, maybe Seattle. Uh, but otherwise, it's, you know, it's Tuscaloosa and Columbus and Ann Arbor and all all that. Um, John, let's switch gears a little bit. and You know, if we, we can go back to some of those topics too, but – uh, really only one, we were asked a question before, like what's the over under on head coaching changes in the PAC 12. And I think it was set at one and a half, uh, sort of felt like it was going to be more than that, but it ended up just being one, uh, with Colorado and hiring Mel Tucker. Uh, what did you think about how that went down and, and, and Colorado's hire there? Uh, I thought you were going to ask me about everything being good at SC, except oh. <laughs> for staff, personnel, culture, <laughs> discipline. <laughs> uh, we could talk about that, that too. Was something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that to me, the Mel Tucker hire, uh, look, Rick George is their athletic director. And he's a really sharp guy. And Rick George was recruiting coordinator at Colorado when Bill McCartney was there and Colorado was, win a national championship and Bill McCartney's background. He came from to Colorado after being a defensive coordinator at Michigan under Bo Schembechler. And when you look at Colorado's history, they have been best when they have played tough defense and been a, you know, a, a run oriented team. And I think that Rick George was looking uh, back to the McCartney era for a little bit of a model to build a consistent winner in Boulder. Uh, one of the criticisms is that Tucker, you know, hasn't been a head coach. Well, he's worked for some darn good head coaches. McCartney showed that wasn't a problem. I mean, Justin Wilcox to me is, is a fairly similar. I mean, that's a good comparison, right? I mean, Wilcox had worked for Paul Christ and he worked for Chris Peterson and was known as a good defensive coordinator. And 
look what he's doing at Cal. And I think Colorado is hoping to see a little bit of the same thing. And Tucker's experience in the South, you know, to me, that would be a little bit more problematic for any other school in the conference. But Colorado is so reliant on recruiting Texas just because of geography. They're so reliant on recruiting Texas and, the, you know, the Southern Plains uh, that I think that his background in, in the SEC, you know, is certainly not a detriment. It might even help them in that regard. Another um, mountain school making a little bit of a coaching change today. Uh, Troy Taylor uh, leaving Utah as the offensive coordinator to take the head coaching job at Sac State. Uh, a little bit closer to you. Uh, thoughts on this? I mean, this is uh, Utah finally having an offensive coordinator for two years running, and now they have to go searching for another one again. I know. I know. Terrible luck if you're the use. I mean, they've had a a string of, of bad breaks uh, this this fall when you include injuries and now Taylor leaving. I think they had gone through six coordinators in six years before oh, yeah. they settled on him. I mean, it's been uh, a remarkable uh, turnover and clearly they figured it out this year in terms of their personnel and Taylor's scheme. And they got everybody on the same page and they're bringing back, you know, both quarterbacks uh, and, and boy, they, this is, is, I guess, disruptive might be the best way to say it in terms of, Utah's longer term trajectory because they they definitely had a guy that that f- had figured out how to make it work with what they have and now I, I don't know what Whittingham's going to do to be honest with you I have not had time to to kind of do some research uh, since the Taylor news broke this morning but you know he's he was at Folsom High School right he coached Jake Browning at Folsom oh, High yeah. School which is outside Sacramento so I mean it makes and he's a head coach it makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a blow to the Utes. Uh, John, you the piece you put up recently, you put it was a, a it was about the the number of dollars each coach for each school like cost per win, basically. And if you want to maybe talk, oh yeah, that was this morning. Yeah, if you want to talk about that a little bit, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, I was curious because uh, you know uh, Cal announced uh, what about ten days ago that Justin Wilcox not only has got a new contract for the next five years, but that he had actually gotten a big pay hike in 2018. That was not it didn't because it was Cal. It took them months and months and months to actually execute the thing, so it didn't go into, into effect till during the season. So I started looking and saw he had gotten basically a million more, 1.1 million more with his new contract for 2018 than he would would have earned under the old one. And so I started thinking about, well, where did his salary rank and how much value is Cal getting? And then I started thinking, well, it'd be interesting to compare the coaches across and the schools across the conference in terms of how, what they're paying their head coach over a three-year span and obviously for a lot of schools that involves multiple head coaches. Uh, what do you, what have they been paying? What's the outlay been for, for salary for the head coach and, and how much have they won? And certainly the situation is there's a lot more detail to it, but I thought that that was kind of a decent rough guide. Uh, it doesn't in, not, it does not include the assistant coach salary pools, which I'm going to try to get into in you know, after the first of the year, but I want to see which schools have, are you know, getting the most value. And clearly Washington State is, 
they're they're lapping the the field in some <laughs> regards because Le- you know Leach uh, Leach made three point five million this year, but over the course of the last three years he's made about seven seven million and he's got twenty seven wins, whereas uh, David Shaw's got twenty seven wins, but he's also made fourteen million over that time. Uh, UC Jose's got yeah, it's not a very good win total. It's like nine. <laughs> Uh, no, 13 wins, and they've paid between Kelly and Mora, they've paid like 10, 12 million, something like that. So there's been some 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 schools that are paying basically a million bucks per victory <laughs> over this period of time, whereas Washington State's paying like 250 grand per victory. Yeah, UCLA definitely stands out on this list. I think that's uh, no question. I mean, Oregon State also paying a lot for those wins, but those are a premium up there. Uh, UCLA, Chip Kelly, uh, made 3.3 this year and they paid 1.1. So UCLA obviously went three and nine this year. Um, I mean, I can do the math. I can, I can figure that one out. Um, What's, what's, what's your, though, the thing thing with Chip though is, you know, they're paying him for what he's going to do in year three, four and five. Right. I mean, the Mora's performance did not match up to Mora's salary, Mora's recruiting, Mora's anything really. Are you still so? Um, I, I, I think everyone was pretty uh, bullish on Chip Kelly's chances at UCLA. Are you still in the same boat after season one? Think it's just the season reset? What's your take on uh, UCLA at this point? No, I, I'm 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 still bullish for sure. Uh, I I saw I thought they improved basically October 1st to, you know, no December 1st or November 20th. I mean, they improved gosh, is probably as much as anybody. I think, um, he's, it just, I don't know that they were, that the personnel was worse than I had expected. I think it may have just been that the transition to what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it, uh, took a little bit longer than expected. And certainly, you know, if Spade had been healthy the whole time, uh, I mean, I think he played well enough at the end of the year for you to, to wonder if he had been healthy the whole time. Maybe they would have had a couple more wins, right? Um, but I, I definitely am still uh, still very, uh, very bullish on, on their prospects with him. And, and even though they are not doing great in the recruiting rankings, I think that, you know, that's – you know, you kind of have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. In those those rankings, they're, they certainly are important, but they're not the end all and be all. And he's got a formula, and I would expect, like I have, like I figured when they hired him, by the end of the 2020 season, they should be damn good. John, you also mentioned, uh, you know, the USC stuff before, where Lynn Swan came out and said, you know, they had problems with their culture and discipline and scheme and personnel and staff. Um, but didn't make a change at the head coach. I get maybe get your comments on that and uh, what USC's kind of done since then, bringing in uh, Cliff Kingsbury. That was ah, that was some kind of statement. Um, you know, it, basically they're saying we have problems with everything, yeah. but we're going to bring back the guy who's in charge of everything. <laughs> um, I I don't know about that place. I'll tell you what, it's uh. It just feels like they're not, uh, they are definitely not what they should be on a lot of fronts. Um, and I know that some of the stuff that's going on at the top levels of the administration are affecting everything underneath. But certainly, if you are 
USC and you have retained your five and seven coach, whereas the program, your arch rival down the street, after a losing season, went out and hired the hottest coach on the market. You know, that to me, that was kind of the backdrop to everything SC did was, you know, the Chip Kelly situation at UCLA. So if you're going to stick with, with Kelton, at least you had to go out and hire some kind of big name guy to fix the offense because obviously the offense has got problems. And they did that. But that leads to a whole other set of questions for me, at least. What, well, one is, is Kingsbury going to actually be on, be on the field come March? Because I saw the report, was that today or yesterday, that the NFL teams are still interested in hiring him as a head coach? Yeah, it was so, yesterday, yeah. Uh, yesterday, yeah. So let's, I mean, if we assume that Kingsbury is going to be there when spring ball uh, arrives, it's going to be interesting to watch how they play, you know, how much of the raid system are they going to use? Um, but it's also going to be interesting, just the dynamic there, right? Because I mean, Kingsbury's the star now and, and Helton is, is kind of second fiddle in a lot of regards. Right. And you think about whether, that kind of dynamic could ever exist at any of the other blue bloods, right? I mean, Nick Saban hiring an offensive coordinator with a bigger name, you know, bigger Q rating than he has, or the same kind of thing at Ohio state or Michigan, any of the USC's historical peers, you could never imagine the head coach basically taking a backseat to the offensive coordinator. Uh, so, I mean, in some ways that's a credit to Helton and his, you know, his, his personality, but in some ways it also says something about Helton and it says something about USC's hiring practices that they haven't gone out and gotten the, you know, the kind of top dog, so to speak. Uh, so I just find the whole thing interesting and how is it going to, how's the staff got dynamic going to work if, 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 if Kingsbury is, you know, succeeding with his offense and how much control is he going to have? could be very interesting. I, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, I know you have to go in just a couple minutes, but I want to get your thoughts on a program you're probably closest to, uh, proximate to at least, um, Stanford. Um, we've gotten a lot of questions, I think probably three or four in the last, I don't know, six months or so. Hey, has, you know, has, has, have they started to kind of ebb a little bit in terms of the Shaw era? Are they ever going to reach the heights of what they achieved at the end of Harbaugh and early Shaw again. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that because you probably have a better idea than anybody. What's your sense of that program right now? Um, can they get back up to essentially that elite top tier? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's That's a good question. They have certainly gotten away from the kind of player and the kind of style that, fueled their success, right? I mean, they were different. They were, they were a, kind of a, an SEC team in the Pac-12, and being different, I think, was a huge advantage. Uh, and being different, the, the, the way they played fit perfectly with their, the kind of kids they can recruit. But they're, switched, they're changing a little bit from that, and I don't necessarily think it's, it's by design. I think that some of it is, you know, maybe they haven't recruited as well, uh, you know, some staff changes, I think, have played a role. Certainly losing their offensive coordinator last year seems pretty clear to me that had an impact. So they're getting away from the style of play that made them different and, and kind of fueled their success. 
So it will be interesting if they can succeed being a lot more like everybody else, which is throwing the ball more than they're running the ball and not being a dominant, a dominant running team uh, and not beating you up on the line of scrimmage. Um, I'm not sure that they can. The other dynamic that's changed is, is Chris Peterson, I think is, you know, they, they, they really succeeded right when uh, Washington was in a little bit of a, you know, they, they certainly weren't a powerhouse at that point. I think that that was one thing that helped Stanford uh, chip Kelly leaving Eugene kind of helped just, you know, cause it's always about the, unless it's SC, the, the landscape matters to everybody else, right? Who, what's your competition? SC is the only school that really, you could say, they should be winning. The, if they're doing everything right, they should be winning the division. It doesn't matter who else is in the division. That's not true for everybody else. Um, and I think certainly Chris Peterson's arrival and now maximization of Washington's uh, potential is, has affected Stanford as well. And, and Mike Leach too. I mean, Leach has beaten them three years in a row and it, a field goal away from four years in a row. Oh, that's crazy when you think about it that way. Um, John Wilner, I know you got to, uh, you got to run. You got a lot of stuff to do. Um, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Wilner hotline. If you're listening to the show, you're most likely following him, but the, the hotline newsletter, if you don't get it yet, the PAC 12 hotline newsletter is awesome. Uh, John drops some, some cool, uh, podcasts every once in a while. Um, you like doing the podcasting part of it, John? I do, but, uh, I, you guys set such a high standard. I think to myself, <laughs> oh, this one, this one is going to suck. Oh, please. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm the, the I, I need to, I need to name mine the podcasts of runners up. Uh, <laughs> so I do like doing it though. It, it's kind of fun. It's fun to just chat and like, you know, you get a lot of good guests. Yep. So, all right. I think you got to go. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Always enjoyed. I really appreciate having me on. Thanks, John. Well, that was pretty cool, Dave. Uh, John, whatever reason, John likes us. Uh, he thinks we do a good job, which I don't. You know, that's a, he doesn't have the best judgment, but it's always great to have him on because he's just he knows so much about the Pac-12. Yeah, that was awesome. So now we just start the rotation again because I think we've we've exhausted the three people <laughs> who actually write about the Pac-12 extensively. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not that many. Um, yeah. Well, no, you know what? We got to get Ted Miller again. I mean. Get, get him on. He was fun to have. He was. As long as his con, like he literally like was in contract or something. He couldn't talk like outside of the ESPN, but he's not with them anymore. I think he's doing like a completely different business now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. We should just get his thoughts. Ted's fun. No, Ted, is, Ted is good. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel bad. We like kind of went through all our cool guests, uh, but we'll, we'll get some other people on, but hopefully you guys enjoyed having someone else besides just me and Dave uh, blabbering on for a long time. But there's not as many games uh, to preview and recap, so I thought it'd be cool to get some some guests. We just kind of got on a roll there. So uh, not a bad way to finish the, the year. No, it was great. Filled up a dead period um, with, uh, with some cool stuff for our listeners. And now uh, they get to hear us blather on for another eight to nine months before yeah. the season starts again. We'll, we'll do some more guests and everything, too. Um, Maybe. Who knows? Dave's like, don't, don't promise anything. Don't promise things that we can't fulfill. Because Dave spends a lot of time working, getting the guests. Like he does. I work like, the phones. I work the phones constantly. It's yes. Here's what David does. He looks at his phone, and Ryan sends him a text. Oh, we're gonna get this guy on. He's like, cool. <laughs> like, 
if I respond at all. <laughs> yes, he might. That, if he takes the time to respond. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we have a one bowl game to recap. David, it is Arizona State Sun Devils <laughs> and the uh, Fresno State Bulldogs. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Jeff woof. Tedford. Yeah, woof. Woof. Um, that was my sound effect. Low oh. energy today. Um, <laughs> all right. So we were talking about this earlier. It's the Vegas Bowl. Always a tough matchup. Um, Fresno State did, I think, what both of us expected them to do. Wait, did you end up switching your pick to ASU? I switched my pick because I wanted to give you a chance because uh, I right. was, I picked Fresno State, but I switched it to ASU for you. Right. So well, I, it went the way I think both of us truly expected it to go. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, Fresno State dominated defensively. Uh, Manny Wilkins had one of the he had one of the toughest days he's had Oof. at ASU, and it was really unfortunate because that's his last game in a college uniform. Uh, threw a bad pick six early, uh, and just wasn't wasn't sharp at all. Um, Arizona state's running game was fine, but they really schemed to stop that passing attack without Nikhil Harry. They just had nothing going in the throwing game. Um, and Fresno state did enough offensively. They ran the ball really, really well. Um, you know, Arizona state created a couple of chances on interceptions, but this was, this was probably a more dominant win for Fresno state than it looks 31 20. Um, they, they controlled this one, even with it being a pretty close game at halftime, and into the third quarter, I just it, it seemed like Arizona State was having to try a lot harder for yards and a lot harder for points. And uh, at the end of the day, Fresno State won by 11. Yeah, you know, I felt this was like in the first half that pick six was big, but Arizona State did bounce back, you know, and I, I felt like outside of that pick six, they had won the first half. Like I felt like they played better. Um, there was, you know, some things were working now that. All the passing, it was like really weird. Nothing was downfield. Like without Nick Kale Harry, it's like they couldn't get the ball past the line of scrimmage. I, there was some stat. It was like, you know, 99% or so. I mean, it's a huge amount of the passes uh, in the game. And like, at least in the first half, were behind the line of scrimmage, uh, which I thought was, oh, so it's 11 of the, his first 15 completions were behind the line of scrimmage. So they were really keeping it kind of close. And then, you know, Benjamin didn't get rolling early. Then he started to be, Basically everything. He was just taking the game over, and then Fresno State I think did a better job of taking him out, uh, taking him out more in the second half. And he still got some some good plays in there, but he just they weren't they were close to the line of scrimmage. They weren't letting him you know break anything big with those short completions and and the running game. You can only rely on that so much. It just seemed like in the second half, Fresno State had answers to most everything uh, Arizona State wanted to do. And uh, like you said, it was it was close and you felt like ASU was in it. And then just, man, they couldn't do anything. Uh, they had five three and outs, I think, in their first six drives of the second half. So obviously you're not going to get, uh, you know, much going on with that. And then there was like three and a half minutes left. Uh, it was 31-20 at the time. So, it ended up, you know, and uh, Wilkins threw a pick and then hurt his knee on the same play. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it just seemed like nothing was going to go right for Arizona State uh, in the second half. And it it really turned. I think ASU was up three, and it was fourth and one at the Fresno State 40. And Herm Edwards ended up punting it. And from that moment on, everything just turned to crap. I don't know if you – I know you're not a big advocate of of, uh, punting in those situations, but it seemed like that was the – old school NFL decision. And it just went awful after that. Yeah. I thought that was bad. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think that one was bad. Um, I think not being able to turn either of those Fresno State interceptions into much of anything on back-to-back series for Fresno State was bad. I mean, they got, I think, a field goal out of one, but turning that into something because after that, Fresno State was pretty much moving the ball very well. Um, yeah, I guess I, I just, when I look at the uh, totals, what ended up happening was Fresno State put up 436 yards and Arizona State put up 293. Oh. When you have that big of a disparity, it's just, it's it's typically not going to go your way. Um, and it really, I mean, Fresno State turned it over three times and ASU only turned it over twice. So if, if Fresno State's a little bit more careful with the ball, I don't know about this game. I think it would have been a 14-point win. Easy. Yeah, no, you're right, and I, you know, in, I'm talking about the second half struggles, but Fresno State was still winning the game like late in the third quarter, and I think that's when they the, the punt happened, uh, but they were like holding on, and and Fresno then you know really got it rolling more in the, uh, um, what's it called in the uh, in the in the fourth quarter, but it just was not. Uh, wait, no, wait, they weren't. No, it was it was sorry, it was 24-20 Fresno. So the, Fresno was up by uh, four uh, late in the third, not. Uh, the other way around. Sorry about that. Uh, but just, it, it was still a game. It was close. And then, but you just felt like they, like Arizona State wasn't taking advantage of, like you said, the three turnovers, the situations. They just didn't do enough. And it was it was sort of like they're playing for that close game like they always do. But Fresno State had enough firepower. And uh, Marcus McMarion, like, you know, was, he was good. Uh, who the, what's the running back? It ran for like 200 something yards or whatever. Uh, Ron, Ronnie, the great Ronnie Rivers. Ronnie Rivers, who's, who's a, he's a, uh, his dad played at Fresno State. And I don't think we really got into this much, but I talked to like, you know, one of the guys I know that covers Fresno State. What ended up happening is they brought a lot of guys back. So there's five star dudes that come out of Fresno that end up going to like Oklahoma or something, like a Caleb Kelly. Um, or a, a Caleb Kelly still stayed at, at um, but a Micaiah Quick, who ended up, mm-hmm. I think he ended up going. So he's back. So he's like a former five star guy. So they have like a five star wide receiver, and they have some guys like that. He brought a lot of people that left the Central Valley to go to other schools because they weren't really being recruited by the last staff or anything, and maybe they weren't having the best of luck or whatever. They just wanted to come home. He brought a lot of guys back, and he's going to recruit that area that has a lot of talent really, really well. And you can do well with that. They're the, the program there and it, they have a great environment. They're winning. People come out and support. They A lot of people went to the uh, Las Vegas Bowl. So it just feels like he's going to get something rolling there. And there's a, it's, you know, it's not like this is an uh, untalented team. There's a lot of talent on this team. And I think he's going to be able to keep it going there a little bit. So I don't think there's any you know, this is a good team that Arizona State lost to. The fact that ASU finished second in the South uh, you know, you know, winning record, Herm's first year. I think that's all positive, but they just kind of ran into a, a buzzsaw on the Bulldogs, uh, uh, you know, in Vegas. Yeah, they're really. Uh, I mean, Fresno State's really good. They're twelve and two. Yeah, um, uh, and I, 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 we say this basically every time we talk about Fresno State, but we can't leave it unstated this time either. They were one and eleven two years ago. <laughs> they went ten and four last year and twelve and two this year. Like that is that is nothing but proof that Jeff Tedford is like, I don't know, like a top 10, 15 coach nationally. Yeah. Like that's just what he is. Okay. We'll have, we'll have to deal with that, but that's true. 
I think they kind of got screwed last year too. Like I think they had to go to Boise again or something and play instead of like they had the better record, but they had to go on the road to play in the, the Mountain West championship game and they lost like they won this year in Boise on the blue turf in the snow. So that was a big one. But yeah, they're, they're doing a really good job. The other thing, and I don't think we mentioned this yet, Merlin Robertson, uh, the freshman uh, you know, linebacker for Arizona State, uh, he was not at the game for personal reasons. Apparently he has two children already. I don't know if there's something going on, but he was ruled out earlier. And uh, it seemed like that hurt them a little bit too. But, you know, in the first half, and then, you know, once they, once uh, Fresno State got the running game going, it just not having him in there, just, it's hard to quantify how much that really hurt them. Yeah, very true. All right. Uh, well, so 0 and 1 for the Pac 12 and uh, bowl records, bowl picks 0 and 1 for me, 1 and 0 for David. So uh, nice job there. I gave you, that was a charity one for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll take I'll take it however I get it. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Um, we do have one bowl game. So what we're going to try to do is record uh, on Wednesday, December twenty sixth. So for the, we're recording on Monday the seventeenth. So you know, approximately nine days from now. That'll be post early signing period, post Christmas. Obviously, we'll try to record on that day and. Later that evening will be the uh, Cheez-It Bowl um, with uh, California Golden Bears and TCU. So we'll preview that now, and then uh, we'll preview the other games in our next uh, episode. So what what sound does a horned frog make? That's a very good question. I don't like, know. is it any is it any different from ribbit? I would could probably I could have probably got a ribbit drop. That wouldn't have been too hard to get. Okay, well, ribbit. Um, <laughs> all right, this is at 6 p.m. on ESPN on Wednesday, December 26th. You'll be fat and happy after the Christmas holiday, and you'll be able to enjoy this football game, the Cheez-It Bowl. Great name. In Phoenix, Arizona, Cal is favored in this game by one point. Uh, the over-under is 39 and a half. Uh, they're not predicting a lot of points in this one. Um, TCU is not good uh they have wins over southern smu iowa state kansas state and then somehow pulled out baylor and oklahoma state at the end of the year um but neither baylor nor oklahoma state is very good in their own right this year um they got blown out by oklahoma blown out by west virginia uh they lost to kansas they i I repeat that's they lost they lost they lost to kansas um (laughs) In a year where Kansas was bad enough that they fired their coach, Kansas being bad enough to fire their coach and beating you in a year is never a good thing. <laughs> so that all needs to be said and emphasized. Um, so TCU six and six Cal is a, eh, I think a robust seven and five. Um, they kind of win in weird ways. Um, like they win games where they look like absolute feces offensively and lose games where they're actually moving the ball pretty well. It's weird. Um, I, wait, I, I wait. Like ca- Remember? Oh, yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. I gave you yeah, charity you, last week because you, you went ahead. Make your pick. Make your pick, Ryan. My, <laughs> my pick is the Sturdy Golden Bears of California, <sighs> University of California. I am taking the Bears. Uh, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think that Cal will be able to do enough. Uh, looking at the... I'm not sure how motivated 
TCU is going to be for this after kind of limping in here. But, you know, played a little bit better, I guess, down the stretch. Um, I feel like Cal will be. You know, uh, Justin Wilcox just got a extension and raise, and John Wilner talked about that a little bit. I know some of the assistants did as well. I think they're pretty fired up for the future of Cal football. And I so I feel like they're going to go into this trying to use it as momentum, um, you know, for you know, most of the recruiting will be done by then, but, you know, just for the, 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 the final push for the February signing day and all that. So I'm going to take Cal and uh, plus one. And I think this is where the Pac-12 gets its first bowl win since Utah last year. Oh, gosh, I wanted to pick Cal, um, but oh. we don't have that many games left, so I sort of need to pick opposite you. I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at TCU's bowl history under Gary Patterson. It's pretty good. They are a good bowl team. They generally do a pretty nice job. Even the losses are pretty close. Um, God, if I'm just picking against you every time, I'm counting on you like really, really sucking. How, <laughs> how far back am I now? You are, let's see, four games back. Wow. So I need to basically clean sweep with only, like, I don't know. How many games are left? Six? Yeah, we have six games we're picking. So I can pick with you once or twice. Um, I think you're right on this one, so I'm going to have to go Cal. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't want to extend our, our extend extend my losses at this point. Um yeah, TC is just not strong this year. It's probably one of the worst teams that Gary Patterson has had there. Um, Cal, I think, is capable of winning the kind of game this is going to be, which is a very ugly, very low-scoring game, as they've shown this year. Um, I, I think they've beaten far better teams than TCU this year. Yeah, sure, they've lost to some teams that are about as bad, but we're not going to focus on the negative. We're going to focus on the positive. Uh, so let me take uh, Cal minus the one. Nice. Um, well, you know, TCU listened to... Kansas is not too bad. I mean, less, they got a national championship coach, Les Miles, right? So, I mean, that's not a bad loss. Did, was it was it his press conference where it seemed like you forgot which team he was coaching for now? <laughs> I think it was. That was awesome. There was a little Hermy Herm feeling, too. I didn't see the it whole thing. It was beyond right? Herm. It was, like, full-on, like, I don't know what's happening right now. I think, I mean, for that's a great – I would, you know, if you're Kansas, that's an awesome hire. Like, I think so. I mean, even if he's bad, like – He's going to be out there eating grass. You're going to be talked about. Like, there's, you know, that's. I, I don't think there's a lot of downside there. Like, what are you going to be worse? Like, who cares? You know? I think it, I, I think it's a miserably bad hire. Really, I think it's completely uncreative. Um, if I was Kansas, it's the same thing we said about Arizona, Oregon State, and this time Colorado. Uh, hire somebody who's going to be different. Like, hire somebody who's going to make Kansas hard to scheme against. Like, just somebody that's going to be different. LSU. What was different about that? What what about Les Miles makes him a fit anywhere besides LSU or another school where they can recruit at like a top 10 level? He's not a fit at Kansas. It makes no sense. He's 65 years old. He's not going to learn how to do something new. I I think it's a bad hire. I, I mean, I get, you're not alone. I think uh, like Stuart Mandel was, was go, going on this. But for me, I'm like, you're Kansas. It's not like... Arizona State, you've got talent. There's a lot of stuff there. This is a basketball school that's the, you know, bottom dweller in the Big 12. You bring in a guy that has a national championship. There's only like five guys that have that. So, I mean, you you have one of five coaches in the country that has a national championship on his resume. So, I don't know. I mean, he makes some good hires. He, I know he's been reluctant to get like fun offenses and, and stuff like that. But 
at least you're going to be interesting. I think it'll be you know interesting for Kansas. If they still suck, they still suck. But I, I don't. You know, it'd be interesting. You know, it would be interesting at Kansas if they ran the damn triple option. That would be yeah. interesting. I'd watch that. A Big Twelve team running the option would be a lot of fun. Let's do that. All right. So you're not a you're not a fan. Uh-huh. No, I think it's I think it's a miserably bad hire. Okay. Miserably bad. Wow, Mr. Glass half full guy there. Just saying, not good. <laughs> not a good hire. Um all right, so we got questions. Ooh, questions. All right, you ready for Bobos? It would have been fun if we could have had uh John answer some. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do like an episode where like ask questions of John and uh you know, and, and we'll we'll have him back on again, and and people can ask like so. Instead of us answering, we can have make John answer a bunch of questions. That'd be a lot less talking for us. That'd be great. That's true. Well, I just I need you to pay attention though. You just couldn't like check out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you ready for Bob from Anchorage? Sure. Hey guys, this is Bob from Anchorage. I just finished listening to your podcast from December tenth, and I loved it. I really enjoy y'all bringing on guest speakers, not trying to suggest I don't love your lovely voices, especially ones that really can bring a deep insight to the current state of affairs in the Pac-12. I did have two questions, though. Why do you love to make fun of Rick Neuheisel? I only started listening to this podcast about six months ago, but I feel as if there's always a reference to Rick every show. Well, Bob, I'll tell you. Uh, He helped to crater three entirely different Pac-12 programs. Um, and, uh, my, uh, my, my Bruins, the, the team I cover, the team, uh, the, the school I attended, uh, they were the latest and, uh, most who, uh, most nuclear. I mean, what, like the crater that he left is still a, like sort of smoking a little bit. And the Geiger counter uh, is like clicking when you walk. Yeah. Okay. Like you still, you still need to wear like a protective mask when you walk around <laughs> UCLA, <laughs> Uh, no, he actually didn't. I mean, he ended up leaving in actually pretty good shape for Jim Mora, but he was a disaster as a coach. Um, and he compounded it, I think, by being very vocal and visible. And I think that's the part me, uh, you know, I, I appreciated Carl Durrell more because he was more circumspect, circumspect about being awful. Rick was just kind of out there. He gave a speech after every loss at home, after every win too, but those were few and far between. But after every loss, he gave a speech to the fans on the field. And that grew more and more obnoxious over the years. Um, yeah, there's just a lot about Rick Neuheisel that's easy to make fun of. And I, I'm a, actually a fan of Rick Neuheisel. Like, I met him doing some kind of radio show, and he was really nice. I remember talking to him about uh, recruiting Marquise Lee, and he, was, he had some really interesting insights and stuff. So, I mean, I love, always liked him. And now, because, you know, Dave is such a, you, you know, he pans him every time he, we talk about him, I like to defend Rick Neuheisel. And the, now that I know he was handcuffed as the head coach of UCLA because they didn't give him money. All of his players didn't even have gloves. gloves. Yeah. Yeah. So now that I know that, I know if he gets another chance someday, then I I think he'd kill it. And then his second question, my second question is, what is your off-season schedule like? Are you guys planning on posting something every week still, or is it going to be more sporadic? Bob? We will podcast every single week until the end of the earth. <laughs> that is what we promise you on the podcast of champions. There won't even be competitive football anymore. And still our, our tinny voices will ring out in the black gloom, letting you know that we're still here. Uh, yes. No, we do plan on it. We, that was our, when did, did we start at the beginning of 
2018, we did a, did we do one like every week in this year or most of the year? I don't remember. Yes, Bob, in other news, we have only recorded weekly, like consistently for about 52 weeks now. <laughs> yeah, for a year. We, you know, we usually do consistent during the season and then it was, it was pretty sporadic in the off season. Um, but yeah, we're, we've, we've done, I think we did a good job this year. We'll continue to do that. So we, we're getting a lot of questions now, like as our, listenership grows we're getting more people listening more people sending in questions so there's a lot more topics i guess we could cover uh during the off season we'll we'll talk about recruiting it's funny wilner tried to like sneak some basketball in there early we never even asked him about hoops after that no uh, and we never will <laughs> that's our promise to you the listener we will not talk about basketball yeah well, and any attempts to make us talk about basketball will be met with reprisals I mean, if if it's something like the only teams in the tournament are out on Thursday, like then we might talk about it. Or if it only get the te- you know the pack only gets like one bid, uh, but it's a it's a pretty bad product, right? I don't follow much of it, but man, it doesn't seem very good. I think I think the way we worked it in is that like I did maybe two updates last year where I just talked uninterrupted for about five minutes because you barely watch it, <laughs> and then uh, and then we just moved on. Yeah. But we do plan uh, on doing that. So thanks for for the email. We'll you know continue doing that. Like I said, we'll we'll do we'll try an episode the the day after Christmas, which I don't think will the game won't be over yet. So we might not be able to recap that until afterwards. But we'll preview uh, the other bowl games. So I guess there'll be five bowl games left after that, and those are going to happen really quickly. So we'll try to do that the day after Christmas. It's you know it might be a good time for people to listen again. Uh, you know they eat their ham and. Uh, pie or whatever you want, and then just kind of chill and, and listen to the podcast of Champions, Dave. I think that's that's a plan. That's that's a plan from the master man. And and David will be editing that one, recording that one. So I expect very high quality. Yes, nothing nothing will ever be better than that podcast. <laughs> All right, Doug wrote in David. He says, "KJ's future." Hey guys, as evidently one of the only Stanford fans out here in the podcast ether, I thought I'd try and focus at least some of the chat on the winningest Pac-12 football program of the past decade with a little smiley there. Uh, so so Stanford's the winningest Pac-12 program of the past decade. That would make sense, right? That seems right. I mean, Oregon had more of a lull than Stanford has had in the last decade. Yeah. Uh, and they'd be the other contender. USC has not been consistent enough. So, yeah, that sounds right. That would, be, that would make sense, yeah. And, you know, Washington you know, five years from now, might that might be the program, but they got the, they had the offer in there. Right. So that's, that's going to be tough to, to recover. Right. From. Uh, KJ Costello had a pretty good year. He's on the border of being a top 10 NFL quarterback prospect nationally, number 11 to be exact with one more year of eligibility. Most people would counsel him to come back and play his senior year to increase his draft stock. But with the, the departures of Bryce Love, JJ Arcega Whiteside, Trent Irwin, and probably Caden Smith, he may find himself in a challenging situation next season. What should uh, he do? Stay on the farm or declare for the draft? And he says, I love the podcast. I listen to the solid verbal. Uh, P-A-P-N. Which one's that? That's uh, P- uh, podcast ain't played nobody. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, shut down full cast and the audible. But the POC is my favorite. Thanks for all you do from Doug. Interesting. Um, I, so I, I, I'm firmly in the camp that he should come back. Um, I don't think he's put up really enough film yet. 
um, what has he played? Uh, one and a half seasons. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he's been a can't miss guy in any point in that. I think what KJ does really, really well is when he has a clean pocket, he can deliver the ball downfield and hit guys pretty damned accurately. He's got a nice strong arm and he can, you know, make all those throws. Um, if he's any kind of disrupted though, his accuracy and decision-making go in the tank quite a bit. Um, and he's benefited from some pretty good offensive line play that has kept him clean and upright, but, um, I'd want to see him work on that, work on a little bit more of his improvising. Um, because I think if you give him, you know, if you give him a perfect play, he's going to deliver that ball perfectly. I don't know, nine times out of 10. Um, but if, if it breaks down a little bit, that's where he gets a little bit wonky. His footwork gets a little weird. Um, and he just doesn't make as good decisions. So I think he's a definite return. Um, you don't often see guy. What is he? A redshirt sophomore? I think he is. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't often see guys, especially at Stanford leaving with that much eligibility left. Um, you know, he still has, yeah, I think he was, uh, yeah, he was a class of 2016 guy, right? Yeah. He was the year after Rosen. So, um, he was a class of 2016 guy. He redshirted in 2016 and then he was a redshirt sophomore in 2017 or redshirt freshman in 2017, redshirt sophomore this past year. So he, I mean, I, I just don't think you're going to see somebody leave Stanford that quickly. Um, you know, we get that value of that education. So I think you've got at least another year of him on the farm. And I wouldn't, I mean, I don't even think it was a completely sure thing when Andrew Luck left that he was going to leave. I mean, what was that redshirt junior? Um, yeah, and he didn't, I mean, he, he didn't leave after his redshirt sophomore year. Right. That's what I was going to say. Is like, if, if Andrew Luck didn't, you probably shouldn't. It's Katie Costello. And maybe this is. David Shaw being evil genius last year when everyone thought KJ Costello should be playing more and they're playing Keller Christ and he didn't even play in that Oregon state game. That almost was a disastrous loss for Shaw. Maybe that's why David, maybe he didn't want him to go pro and wasn't, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's working at there. Maybe, maybe probably not. Sorry. <laughs> All right. We've got another one from Doug. You ready? Another one. Okay. Non-con. Does anyone in the conference have a tougher non-conference 2019 schedule than Stanford, UCF, Notre Dame, and Northwestern? Interesting. Um, USC has Notre Dame at BYU and Fresno State. So I think that would be harder. Yeah, UCLA has a toughish one too, but not that tough. They have... Uh, Cincinnati on the road. They have Oklahoma at home. And then they have, what's the other one? What's the other one? San Diego State at home. So yeah, that's, that's, that's up know, there too. Not, not easy, but I don't think it's up there with either Stanford or USC. Um, I don't think anybody else has anything that's insane. Yeah, I look like I glanced at, at least. Right. Yeah, I glanced at some of them. I don't recall anything being like that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think Stanford's got a real strong claim to that. But Northwestern, it's like Northwestern's a division winner, but I don't think they're, yeah. I mean, they went 0-3 in their, I mean, they lost to Akron, like, last year, but they still won the the Legions or Legends or whatever the hell they are, like, big, big <laughs> whatever the weak division is, they won that in the Big Ten. Um, yeah, so you'd probably say um, that's, like, the equivalent of the BYU um, among those teams that Stanford's playing, like if you're if you're looking at it from USC to Stanford comparison, yeah, they both play Notre Dame. 
um, BYU is like, yeah, they're fine. And, you know, so is Northwestern. And then Fresno State, it's basically, do you think Fresno State is clearly better than UCF? I would probably say, yeah. I mean, they I mean, UCF's, UCF's undefeated. Oh, wait, that. Oh, wait, you. OK, so this is you. I'm, I'm getting those uh, directional Florida schools mixed up there. You, you, UCF is the. The national champion from 2017, right? Yeah, you're talking about the defending champ. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll be off their second national championship in in 2019. So that's true. They're gonna you go got to factor that in. And Stanford plays Notre Dame on the road. Oh wait, 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 wait! It's at UCF. They're playing at UCF. Holy cow! Why are they doing that? <laughs> So, oh my God, Stanford! So they play. Okay, yeah, it's it's Stanford. It's definitely Stanford. Okay. Oh my God, they're playing at UCF. At UCF and at Notre Dame. They go back to back at USC, then at UCF. Jeez. So Northwestern's the- got to be at home then. Okay. Yeah, Northwestern's at home. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's uh. That's 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 Stanford. Stanford wins that one. Wow. Uh, that's, yeah, I was, why well, I was thinking of like the, the, uh, South Florida, I was thinking like the bulls or whatever. Um, that's, uh, that's very different. Like playing the national, def- like could be two time defending national champions, right? Like that's, yeah, that's nuts. Uh, okay. Yeah. So they have, so Notre Dame will be at home uh, at the end of their schedule after they play Cal. Uh, when are their buys? They have, USC only has one buy, by the way, again. They have a buy at the end, uh, which is kind of weird. So they have Northwest. Just setting up for that Pac-12 championship game. They, yeah, it did, it did work out. So they, they're Northwestern's at home. Then they go to USC, the second, which is so dumb, like play that second week of the season. And then at UCF, uh, and then they play Oregon. Man, this is a tough opening uh, four-game stretch for, for Stanford. Then they go on the road against Oregon State. Um, so they have a buy after what they play Washington at home. They have a buy and then, uh, their season is either going to be completely over by that first bye week or they'll be in like real business, but there's not going to be any middle ground. Yeah. So the buys are like, so they have a buy and then they have like UCLA and Arizona at home and then another buy like it, uh, like it's not like. I don't think it's a great use of the the extra bye week, but whatever. But yeah, that's that's really tough to go at UCF. I didn't realize. I see we were, we were hearing about them not playing anybody, and Florida tried to schedule them. Um, but I guess yeah, I guess I didn't. I don't remember that even happening. I didn't even think that was a thing. So that's that's shocking to me. That's good to know now that we you know going into the off season. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, bowls and coaches. This one is from Sean. Hi guys, Sean from Ohio. Uh, with two questions. One, first, what is a conference record in the Bulls that would not induce any vomiting? I see the teams are favorites in four of the seven, and they pick them in a fifth. So what is the baseline? Yeah, so what does that mean we talked about with, with John Wilner? Does it, like, is four and three, like, what you, you kind of expect, or that's where it should go? I mean... Yeah, they should be four and three. Anything less than four and three, I think, is uh, underperformance given the relative strengths of the teams they're playing. Um, you've already got one of the likely losses out of the way um, to Fresno State. 
And then you're probably going to have another one with Washington and Ohio state. Um, but the rest of them, those are all, I, I think pretty winnable games. Um, let's look right now. So Cal is a one point favorite. Washington state is a three and a half point favorite. Stanford is a six and a half point favorite. Oregon is a two and a half point favorite and Utah is a seven and a half point favorite. So, Lose, lose Washington or Ohio State, lose one more, whichever one you think. TCU maybe beats Cal. Um, Michigan State maybe beats Oregon, whatever. Um, but I think if you go four and three, I think that's comfortably, you know, that's about in line. Um, I think if you go three and four, two and five, I mean, that's obviously getting into disaster territory again. Obviously, it's a small sample size thing and, you know, people overinflate the importance of bulls. But from a pro- public perception standpoint, it probably does matter to some small extent. Um, so, Hopefully they go four and three or better. Yeah. And just after last year, you got to like get that one and eight taste out of your mouth. So uh, having a good showing, like I agree with David, doesn't mean like the world, but it will help as, as far as perception goes. And, you know, if what if the Pac-12 didn't go one and eight in bowls last year and was the talk of, you know, basically everyone talking about it? Does Washington State move up one spot and get a New Year's Six Bowl? Like, if, if did that change the perception enough of the Pac-12? I don't know. I mean, but it's it probably came up in the discussion, or at least it was in the back of people's minds that this isn't a very good conference, so we're going to put other teams with more losses, with three lost teams, ahead of Washington State. Who knows? I mean, that, that could have happened in the committee just from that one-and-eight bowl performance. Yeah. Uh, number two... Clay Helton keeping his job may have been a product of USC not feeling there was a better current choice available. Might this be a future trend with schools in the conference staying the course with a troubled coach and trying to fix his infrastructure of assistance instead of a huge overhaul? Could this be an option for Arizona and Oregon next year if they fail to meet expectations? Love the pod. Sean, um, real quick. I, yeah, I don't think that was, I think that could be a thing. I don't think that was a thing. I don't think there was, I think there was a default choice like a Jack Del Rio. And if they wanted to go out and actually find a, a, you know, a real good college candidate, they could have done that, but that's not really typically what USC has done. I don't think it was about that at all. It was more about Lynn Swan's new athletic director inexplicably signed him to an extension in February, uh, which he didn't have to do. And you're just kind of like, it's just, it's not a well-run organization right now. And you're just, that's the kind of things that are going to happen. But I, I could see that where maybe if you don't feel that there's a great coach out there, that maybe you, you hold off and try to make some sort of overhaul. I know USC referenced what Notre Dame did um, and you know two years ago, but that's, to me, that's just a whole different story. You're talking about a coach that had a lot of success at other places, had a lot of success at Notre Dame going to the national championship game then cleaned house on his staff when things got stale like that. I think that makes sense. I don't know if it would make sense for Oregon when you have an unproven head coach, if he's not working out, I think you just have to cut bait at that point. If you don't feel it's working out. Um, I I don't think what USC did was the right move. Um, You know, you got to change all those things. Like John Wilner said, you're probably should be changing your head coach. Yeah, completely agree. I just wouldn't lump Arizona and Oregon in the same boat at all. Um, USC, First, it's a different place with um, probably a different set of expectations. Um, and I, I think Clay Helton, he's been there longer. Um, they, they know what he is. Um, they've seen him with and without a star quarterback. Um, 
And well, whatever JT Daniels ends up, he's not yet Sam Darnold is basically what I'm saying there. Um, I mean, Arizona and Oregon, they're both in year one. So, yeah, I think they're going to get another they're going to get more time than that. Beyond Like whether you consider them a troubled coach or not, um, that's just the simple fact of it. Um, Clay Helton. Yeah, definitely should have been fired. Um, And, you know, we'll see if this ends up working out. They went and did the best possible thing you can do when you are trying to shore up a failing head coach. And they hired a dynamite offensive assistant, but um, when the head coach is uh, is not doing well, um, it's hard for uh, just some assistant hire to make up for all the deficiencies at the at the top. Yeah, I think you need a proven head coach to make that work. Um, yep, someone that's done it before, not just like, well, the guy that was sort of questionable hire. Um, let's give him a new staff and then see what happens. Cause that's just it's like, it's just like rehiring him again and just hoping it, you know, it works out differently somehow. Yep. All right. We've got a voicemail next. Oh yeah. Here I'll um, I, read the next question and I'll play the voicemail after that. All right. This is from Chris uh, cry for help. Uh, love the guests on the podcast. Keep it up. Now that we are tired of listening, not that we are tired of listening to you two, but we are tired of listening to just you two. <laughs> Okay. Uh, soon, soon the bowl season will be over, and whining about Larry Scott and Clay Helton does not hold the magic it once did. No, you guys are previewing and predicting some bowl games. Go, Ryan, extend the lead. So maybe we should just test your ability to see into the slightly more distant future. I was going to ask a historical question, but Lord and any non-comatose listener knows you guys have a ferocious memory and cannot <laughs> see into the past. If the Pac-12 is better than 500 in bowl games, yes, I remember there are an odd number of teams playing. Will the mainstream media see it as a success, even if Washington does a browning against the Buckeyes? As an aside, is there anything more cruel or strangely apropos than making Jake compare himself to Dwayne Haskins in the final game of his four-year career? Um, Look, I don't think anybody, unless the Pac-12, look, it's all just media narrative. Unless the Pac-12 goes like six and one, um, I don't think anybody's going to be like talking about, oh, the Pac-12 did well. Um, but if they go four and three or even th- three and four, I don't think there's going to be a big narrative that about anything to do with the Pac-12 generally. It'll just be, oh, this individual team did well or that individual team did well. You don't want to be noticed for things like going one and eight in bowl games. That's just bad publicity. Um, and, you know, if you're in the middle ground, there's not going to be a story written about you. And that's fine. You don't ever want like conference level recognition unless you're the SEC. Like yeah. it's just it's not a good look. And I think I think the Washington game is big. I think if you can, if Washington can win the Rose Bowl, I think that helps more than if the Pac-12 went six and one and lost that game. So I think you kind of need that win, especially with the the poor performance and out of conference games. That's the one that matters. I think that's what people are going to want to see. So um, obviously they couldn't finish six and one if you lose that one. They'd be five and so say you know the Pac-12 wins the rest except the Rose Bowl. Five and two in bowls. Uh, I don't think that's that's going to really be a, a positive, you know, media narrative. But I think Washington winning would help, and uh, you know, it probably wouldn't be bad for for Jake Browning because he doesn't have the uh, the athletic tools that a, a Dwayne <laughs> Haskins has. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's big. I think it's important for the Pac-12 to try to win this Rose Bowl, at least get back on the positive momentum. Because otherwise, it's like every big important game 
doesn't go the Pac-12's way, and that's that's hard to get out of people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, he says, will Kim Jong-un switch from a Dennis Rodman bromance to a Clay Helton bromance in 2019? Maybe Trump will bring Clay to the next summit should Lin Swan tire of his professed love of stability and Clay has some time to spare. Um, I mean, Clay Helton is pretty much like, I don't know, I mean, like, uh, just uh, plain toast. And Dennis Rodman is, you know, crazy fruity donut with sprinkles. All I mean, there's... There couldn't be a very different. So I'm not sure what he's trying to get at here. I, I think Kim Jong-un would much rather hang out with some crazy guy like Dennis Rodman. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. Yeah. Are there people who want to hang out with Clay Helton? Oh, he's like the dude. He's the nicest guy. I mean, yeah, I would hang out I with know, him. but like, do you want to like party with Clay Helton? No, probably like you'd want to party with Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Uh, right. Like, you don't, I mean, Clay Helton's like a nice guy to like see at the grocery store. Yeah, <laughs> like you'd walk by him and say, "Hey, Clay, how's your day?" And he'd say, "Hey, it's great. How's yours?" And you'd say, "It's great." And then you would walk the other way, and he'd walk the other way, and it'd be fine. He'd be like kind and great. But like Rodman, you might like you might carry some stories from that for the rest of your life. All right. Uh, well, here's the voicemail that you were referring to. I had to do a little scramble. I didn't realize we had one, so I did a little scramble. We asked for him last week, and we got one. Here you go. Hi, Ryan and Dave. You guys are doing a great job on the podcast. It's such a long off season, which is going to be a much longer off season this year since neither one of our teams are in a bowl game. So my name is Chuck. Hey, I wondered if you might do a series or do a an episode on officiating. I used to be a high school official back in the '90s, and I don't get really what's going on uh, with the Pac-12 officials. But we were graded when I was officiating. Every week, we worked hard to be the best that we could be, and that's how you move up in the profession. And uh, from my seats uh, near the goal line in the fourth row, I saw a lot of things that just didn't look right. I mean, officiating comes down to two things, mechanics and judgment. You work hard on your mechanics, trying to be in the right place, the right time to make the call. And then the next thing is your judgment. Uh, do you call that? Don't you call it? One of the things I saw, like, in the Stanford-UCLA game was the obvious pick by the wide receivers with a touchdown in the corner. Stanford already had a tremendous, you know, advantage in size and talent, but it just really gets me when officials let them get away with things. I kind of yelled at the official when it got quiet enough where he could hear me and said, hey, you know, you're earning your reputation of being a crappy Pac-12 official, and your team earns it every week. It's probably not fair. I'm sure they're working hard, but I just don't get it. And then the other end of the field, they they obviously they call that penalty later. And I think sometimes you got to put it in their mind. Anyway, I'd be interested if you could get maybe a Pac-12 uh, head official on and talk to them about that. It'd be interesting for the the fans just to maybe hear what officials go through. Because, um, thank you for all the great work you're doing and. Uh, I uh, hope you keep it up and we get a weekly show during the off season because I just look forward to every time your podcast drops. Thanks guys. Great stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really good stuff from John. Um, so this, I, I think it's a really good point. I don't know if we'd have any luck getting any PAC 12 official on, but maybe we could get somebody who's, I don't know, had some experience um, doing some uh, college level uh, refereeing. Just give us uh, that perspective, because I think your frustration that you're feeling from a educated standpoint, John, is is the same that everyone else feels from a 
uneducated standpoint about the particulars of the profession. Um, because it, it it is that inconsistency. It's the, you know, the general sense that these guys just might be working hard, but might just not have a great, because there's, I think there's a, and I could be wrong. There's a feel to officiating in a game the same way there is to any part of this um, whole sport and industry where sometimes you've got to like, take control of a game and call certain things. And sometimes, I mean, it's like you, uh, the, the old thing you can call holding on any given play. So why call it here? Why call it there? Um, and just having a, a sense of when you're supposed to call the certain things that you're going to call. I think the main thing is probably, I mean, this is one area where I do think it is sort of a top down issue. Um, everything we learned about the replay situation makes me think that the entire, structural apparatus of the Pac-12 is geared around image rather than um, necessarily being good and right and correct. Um, and I don't know how that affects the officials in terms of them being so egregiously bad, um, but maybe there's not a whole lot of corrective and constructive oversight over the officials or not as much as we would like. Um, that would be my speculation on it. Yeah, we'll see who we can talk to. There would be an expert. Uh, what was it? John Canzano, when we had him on, he wrote in that piece, his second edition. I mean, he had that four-parter. I think in the second part, it's when he talked about officiating. I think he tried to get Tony Carante, Carante in there, uh, who's now in the NFL. He quit like in the middle of the season a few years back, but he's not allowed to talk because of the NFL contracts or whatever. But uh, I don't know if the Pac-12 would make anyone available, but we could try. I guess David Coleman would be someone that would be good to talk to if we could get him. But um, I can put the request in. I just don't know if they there would is us. there is no way that they would give us anybody, but it would be awesome <laughs> if they did. We could try. Uh, um, yeah, why not? Um, yeah, I think that would be cool. I think that would actually be insightful and maybe a good uh, topic for the off season. You know what's and funny? If, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just thinking if if the Pac-12 is interested in uh, in improving their image with those sorts of things, a little bit more transparency would definitely be in order. Yes, transparency would be great. Um, it's funny that people keep mentioning. The I hope you guys do off-season stuff. So th- I don't think there's a lot of confidence that this is going to keep rolling. People- well, because we haven't, we haven't. <laughs> remember, remember at the end of last year, where we're like, no, no, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, and and then we did. We haven't been talking it up as much this time around because we're just we're just confident in ourselves, Ryan. Oh. That's what we are. The listeners we are, are confident. <laughs> we are confident in ourselves that we're going to get this done to the point where we haven't even talked about it. We did, but you know what? People out there, we are going to do this thing. We are committing to you right now that for a brief time every week, we will talk nonsense into a mic and put it out there for you to listen to. Yeah. That is our commitment to you. Nice. Uh, did you want to do this one or do you want me to do it? I guess is, is this the Herocious uh, one? Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll handle this one. Okay. It's from Jeremy. Uh, Urban Dictionary. Herocious was published. All right, this is exciting news. Hey, guys, Herocious was already defined on Urban Dictionary, but not defined well. I updated it with a much more correct Podcast of Champions-centric entry. See entry number six here. All right, so everyone out there, go to urbandictionary.com slash, well, just search Herocious um, Urban Dictionary on Google, but it's urbandictionary.com slash define.php, question mark term, equals Herocious, H-O-R-R-O-C-I-O-U-S. Uh, go there and upvote that and upvote this particular definition, which is 
Portmanteau of horrendous and atrocious used to describe the execution, officiating, demeanor, physical attractiveness, athletic ability, intelligence, common sense, and general comportment of all things related to Pac-12 football in 2018 and very likely into the future. Coined by the quote-unquote podcast of champions, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the mediocrity of a dying college football conference, it is most accurately used to describe how the conference has been run into the side of a mountain by Commissioner Larry Scott. (laughs) Very good definition there. Um, The top definition is currently... The combined effect of something that is both horrendous and atrocious, which is certainly on its surface a correct definition, and I'm amazed this is from 2006. We are not as original as we think we are. Um, and uh, But nonetheless, even though it is accurate, it does not fully capture the uh, the spirit and intensity of our of our feelings. So um, upvote uh, 4th and 11's definition of ferocious, and let's get that thing top level. It was so when he emailed us, he said it was like entry number six. It's now entry number two. Yep. So should We're we in it with a bullet? Should we downvote the other ones to like help ours? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So that's the thing. Um, everyone, go in and upvote the pa- podcast of champions definition of ferocious and downvote every single other definition. <laughs> I just did that, Dave. All right. So so did I. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for sending that in, Jeremy. Uh, I didn't know. Yeah. So that was from 2006. Someone came up with that. Nice. Uh, okay. We'll move on to Kevin's QBR and coaches salaries. Uh, he says, Kevin says, okay, got it. No basketball. Can you go over the various factors and how they are weighed in arriving at a QBR rating? Um, no clue. Do you have no idea about this? I mean, like what? It's like, that's like some formulaic thing. Like we'd have to pull up spreadsheets and, you know, and it's like, doesn't ESPN have their own? And there's like a, there's probably yeah, like a it, Bill Connolly one or something. And like, hang on. All right. Can you like, you want me to let's read? do it. All right. Summary of, co- oh my God. The summary of computation is like some calculus. Nonsense. Yes. It's like, that's what I'm saying. I like, don't want this. <laughs> It's it's very complicated. Like Kevin, what are you doing to us right now? <laughs> With you have to know. I'd rather talk about basketball <laughs> than try to like even. I would like to do. I would like to talk about basketball more than I would like to try to read this mathematical formula. That's what his. That's Kevin's a genius. He wanted us to talk about basketball, so he would ask something that you would definitely not want to talk about. Like. Even if we were experts in that, that would be horrible radio or horrible. All right. I'll, I'll tell you. Raw QBR equals G of adjusted EPA over action plays. What does any of that mean? I don't know, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, you really made David mad. You just made my brain hurt. and That's not good. <laughs> it's Apparently, a- EPA is expected points added. Yeah. there's a, and, and there's different versions of it, too. It's, it's a complicated thing um certainly not something we we're neither of us are experts on and even if we were i don't think it would be very good to talk about not Um, great radio no do we have to talk about basketball for like a minute now because of that or no 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 kevin kevin kevin's in the he's in he's in the he's in the bad box okay but he also says who decides assistant coach salaries i get that ucla was making a play to keep fry by labeling him as offensive coordinator no doubt that came with a hefty pay raise. Does Chip or head coaches in general set assistant salaries? 
How do the other assistants take salary increases uh, to other? How do the other assistants take salary increases to other assistants? I'm not really sure what that means. Do all the assistants kind of know who deserves slash earns the salary or raises they get? Thanks as always, Kevin. I think he means like the internal politics of it. If somebody gets a raise and somebody doesn't, how do they take it? Oh, okay. Um, so for UCLA, yes. So uh, Fry's uh, going to be the OC. He's going to get a hit pay raise. Um, so typically the assistant pool is more or less decided when the head coach is hired. Um, and then if they want to increase the overall pool, they have to go back. I know at UCLA, depending on the amount that they're trying to increase, they might have to go back to the UC Regents. Typically, if it's within a certain amount, a reasonable raise, I don't know what percentage amount that is, but it's a certain amount, uh, they don't need to get approval and they can just increase the pool. But it is a pool of money that they can split up how they want to among their assistants. That's how it is at UCLA. And I think most schools, I don't know if USC having more money than God, if that helps them uh, get a little bit outside the box there. Um, the internal politics can be, I, you know, I've had uh, in the past a couple of assistant coaches be a little bit salty about raises for other assistants. That's on some dysfunctional staffs in the past. But, yeah, I think it's typical. I mean, it's I mean, Kevin, I don't know where you work, but if you learned that a coworker got a raise and you didn't, you'd probably be a little bit salty, too. Um, so that can happen. Um, but I think with this being a promotion, I think that's probably there's probably not much resentment about it. Um, it was an open spot. Chip does his own play calling, so he didn't even have an OC last year. So it was a good way of retaining a coach who proved his chops this year um, and helped out with, you know, game planning and all that good stuff. Um, so it probably better reflects his, uh, you know, he's not going to be a play caller, but it probably better reflects his standing in the program um, as kind of the number two guy on offense. So, uh, yeah, I, that's that's my sense of it. You have anything different? No, I think, and I think the titles are important when you're trying to keep coaches. You know, coaches don't want to make lateral moves. So, like, if you were going to be, if you're the defensive line coach at Kansas and Washington, you could go to Washington to be the defensive line coach. It would be hard to go the opposite. But if you went from Washington to Kansas and you were still coaching the defensive line, but you were also like, uh, run game defensive specialist or something like they give you some title, like the, on the offensive side, sometimes it's like passing game coordinator or a run game coordinator. Um, you could be like front seven court. I mean, they, they, there's other titles you can get to kind of make it like a quote unquote better job that would come with more money. So then you're not making this sort of uh, lateral move. And so I think they use those titles quite a bit. And I, yeah, I think most of the schools you're going to do it like like David said with some sort of pool of money. Um, there might be special cases. There's you know there's I, I know at Cal, uh, you know USC actually went after one of uh, Justin Wilcox Wilcox's assistant coaches, and when Justin Wilcox got that uh, raise and extension, he did get more money for his assistants and. Um, so I know there was some negotiating going on there. They gave one of you know the assistant that USC was after uh, more money, and he ended up staying. So there's I think there's special circumstances to all of it, but it's just like they've said. It's like any office. The only problem is this is or not problem, but the difference is this is more public. So maybe if it was like a uh, like congressman or someone that you know is more of a public figure, uh, but th you know there's going to be office sort of politics. I think with with everybody and even with. Uh, you're talking about you have 10 full-time assistant coaches. Well, you also have support staff and we're seeing much bigger support staffs and they're 
some of them are heavily involved in a lot of what these coaches are doing and they're not going to get paid anywhere near what those coaches are getting. So I think there could even be some, as more and more of that, if that, as that gets bigger, that might be uh, a bit of an issue too. Yep. <clears throat> All right. You ready for Ryan? Yeah. Question. When I think of the word herocious, the image of the Philadelphia Flyers mascot gritty comes to mind. Not because of the name, but because he is hilariously awful and makes you question why you're spending time watching him in the first place. It seems like a pretty good mascot for our beloved conference this year. I also like the fighting Hermes as I picture Kermit the Frog in the Notre Dame Leprechaun's fighting position with a caricature of Herm's goofy grin that is so acclimated to mediocrity. What or who do you think would be a proper mascot for the 2018 Pac-12? Ooh. Ooh. Mascot wow. for the Pac-12. That's mm. I like this. This is a good question. I haven't thought of it at all. I Is this one where we ask people to send in their mascot ideas? Um, we might have to tweet it. Oscar the Grouch lives in a trash can, right? He does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was one of I my favorite. Oscar the, I think it's Oscar the Grouch. He lives in a trash can, <laughs> but it's his own trash can world where you can go and you can have adventures. But in the end, you're just you're, you're still in a trash can. So I'm going to I'm going to say it's Oscar the Grouch. Did you have a favorite like Sesame Street character growing up or? I never watched it that much. I was more of like um, I watched a lot of the animated shows like the little Captain Planet in my life. Okay. Got a lot of that. Um, so I was more of a more of a Captain Planet uh, aficionado. Um, but, you know, I watched a little bit of Sesame Street enough to know that Oscar the Grouch lived in a trash can and he had his own little trash can world. And so, um, yeah. Oscar the Grouch, that's your answer. I like it. Um, I think Cookie Monster was probably my favorite because I'm a big cookie guy, but I I've, I liked Oscar, so I think he would be a good uh, good mascot. Yeah, absolutely. green would green be the color though for a mascot? Like, I don't know why I would I, think it'd be something. It's more of a blue. Like, what was Pat, well Pat, the original the original Oscar the Grouch was orange. Really? Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he was orange, and then he became green. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at Oscar the Grouch's Wikipedia right now because that's where today has taken me. It's taken me to Oscar the Grouch's Wikipedia page. Did you have Saturday morning cartoons when you were a kid, or is that that wasn't? Yeah, really? hell yeah. Okay. Come on, what do you think? I don't what know. Do like, I am? No, I'm just saying, it, like they don't have them anymore, right? Like that's not really a thing. You can just watch on YouTube, whatever you want. Yeah, I think like we'll have to have like a long offseason discussion that has nothing to do with football about the changing nature of TV consumption habits and how it has uh, completely changed so many things that are unrelated to TV. Like the traditions of Saturday morning are yeah. just different. They're just so different. And like a lot of the communal stuff that we used to still get vestiges of by watching TV together are now gone entirely. Like you don't have those communal moments nearly as much. No. So anyway, that's a little bit of philosophizing that we will not talk about on this podcast. Uh, on to my initial question, which suddenly seems far less worthy. What do you make of the number one recruit who just committed to Oregon not being actively pursued by the other major West Coast programs? Good for the pickings, peckings, pecking ducks. Uh, but this seems more like mystery meat than the sure thing a top recruit like this would normally be. Yeah, that, I mean, there was a lot of USC fans were kind of talking about it. I I've always liked him. Um, you know, talking to him, he's a really smart kid. Um, I you know I like his game. Yeah, he's not like as far as pass rushers goes, he's not like the biggest guy in the world. So he's sort of like a, a tweener. 
but I think he's got a lot of talent. And for whatever reason, there's, you know, some of the schools weren't, maybe didn't feel as, you know, he was worth the, the high, the lofty rankings that he had. Um, but yeah, USC kind of, I don't want to say stop recruiting him, but just, just didn't recruit him all that hard. Uh, I, but I think it's, it's good for Oregon to, to get him. I think getting a, a big name uh, prospect to stay on the West Coast, because it's, it's, it's tough. When USC is struggling and they're not getting some of these guys, more of them are getting sucked out of California and going uh, to SEC country. If you remember like the late 90s, like when Miami was really good, Florida State, Florida, all the, they were getting a lot of guys out of California to go uh, and leave. And I think one of the things Pete Carroll did was make it kind of cool to stay on the West Coast. I don't know if we're losing that a little bit, but getting a guy like that to stay, I think, is good for the the conference overall. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, the one thing I've heard about Kayvon is his motor can be a little bit inconsistent. I don't know how much of a role that played in, in maybe uh, the local schools not going after him that much. Because you'll often, if if you do see this weirdness with like a top 10, top 15 guy ever, where the local schools who have the best look at him aren't really going after him that hard, that's... It's not always a sign. Sometimes it's a sign that they got very early indications that the kid was not in any way interested in staying local. But sometimes it can mean, look, they're just closer and they get a better look. They know his coaches a lot better and they're able to get maybe an inside word. And that's not to say that Kayvon might not turn out to be great. I mean, he's rated where he is for a reason. Um, But maybe that's playing into it at all. Just just speculate. I've seen him a lot in person. I'm, I'm a fan. So I don't know what, you know, why coaches do or don't do certain things, but he's a guy I like. So uh, we'll see what, how he does at Oregon. Uh, Bernie uh, said, Dave, I've been so disappointed in what has transpired with UCLA football since the hiring of Chip Kelly. Do you think Kelly will be successful in the long run? Mm. Um, you want me to answer that one first? You, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say, yeah, I still am a fan. I still think he's going to do well, but I know you're a little bit on the fence. So uh, it depends on what you mean by successful. Like, are they going to be good? Yeah, I think they'll be okay. I mean, at the very minimum, I think they're going to be like, a, I don't know, I think they'll turn it around pretty sizably this year and probably be a bull team again in 2019. Um, and then I think they're going to get to like a good a good level. Um, you know, Jim Mora first three years level at, at minimum. Um if you if you're asking me if I think he's going to be like a national title winning coach at UCLA, I'm going to have to see it a little bit more in the recruiting game. I'm not look. I, I'm sold on a process that prioritizes evaluation and doing your own and prioritizing things like character and buy-in because I think that'll probably end up with a greater hit rate. But you still need those blue chippers. You still need a couple of these guys sprinkled in every cycle, um, even if you are mostly recruiting a lot of those gritty guys, you know, the sort of the way Washington recruits. Um, but UCLA is not really even doing it at that level. And I haven't seen, um, I think they're doing a great job of prospect identification. You know, most of these guys that they're identifying who are like low three stars when they're identified, you look at them and you're like, Oh wow, they're, that guy's actually pretty good. He's just, you know, somebody they're, they're sleeping on a little bit. And Okay. Um, but the, the effort they've put into then recruiting those guys is troublesome. Um, I think that's the thing that needs to be corrected. Um, and hopefully it will. And if that part of it gets solved, 
towards the end of the year, John Wilner talked about it earlier. I thought what I saw on the field looked like much more what I was expecting at the beginning of the year. Um, the offense, especially over the last, I don't know, three or four games was really starting to look like something good. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic and bullish about what I saw on the field. Um, but you're going to need to reload the talent. And, uh, that's the piece that's still a question mark for me, but look, the entire play on the field was a question mark for me at the beginning of the year and into the middle part of the season. And then my questions were all answered more or less positively. So I'm thinking, you know, there's a good chance that happens in recruiting, but we're just, I, I just haven't seen it yet. So, um, and it's sort of the, the strategy they're using is sort of long play. It's hard to evaluate in the moment at all because they are recruiting to develop. They're not recruiting a bunch of plug and play guys. They're recruiting guys that they want to develop within the program. And so it's going to be hard to assess every one of these classes um, until, you know, two, two to three years down the road. And then, you know, losing a guy like Jalen Phillips, how does that play into your, like, is that like, oh, that's another five star. That's just, he would rather get someone to develop than the guy that comes in with all the hype. I think that I think there's definitely some element of fit with a lot of these guys. Um, and I, I think it's you're still going to see some attrition uh, from this program because it is very different from the last few years under Mora. Like there is much more accountability, much more. You've got to be football 24 seven. Like there's a lot more of that going on. And some guys are just going to you know get weeded out. I don't know if Phillips is purely that case. It's partly that, I think. But also um, he suffered concussions had a couple other things go on um that i think ucla in particular is being um a little bit stricter about how they deal with concussions and i think it's completely right and good um but they're being pretty cautious about it um so i think for certain players who might otherwise you know they might medically retire at ucla they might be able to find a shot somewhere else so i wouldn't be shocked if you saw something like that but um i think there's a lot of factors going on there um but if it's purely that they're going to turn off five-star players and, you know, upper four-star players with the way they're doing things, then boy, I don't know if, uh, I, you're counting on a lot of, a lot of un unfound, um, talent out there. And maybe that's true. Maybe there are a lot of guys who go unscouted that you can grab who are just as good or that you can develop into just as good as the four and five stars who are identified. Um, but I, I don't know where the proof of that is. So it's going to this is a great test case for it. We're going to see if it happens. Um, but it's uh, it's sort of uncharted waters for UCLA. They've never attempted to recruit like this. And most programs don't attempt to recruit like this by choice. Um, this is this is like, uh, you know, this is what Kansas State and Michigan State do because they have no other choice. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this turns out. And then the second question says, Ryan, do you think USC will open its 2020 football season with Helton as its head coach? Uh, that's from Bernie. Thanks, Bernie. Um, it's To me, that's really hard to answer at this point. I think a guy like Cliff Kingsbury and the talent USC has, you can turn five and seven into nine and three, like, I mean, with one hand tied behind your back. I just feel like you can do that. But I don't know, is that like if, if they do that and they're better? but they don't win the Pac-12. Is that fireable for Lin Swan? I mean, if you would have said, okay, USC in 2018 is going to go five and seven and you know, lose to UCLA and Notre Dame, lose to every California team, um, you know, get upset by a, a, a Bruin team that won two games and new coach Chip Kelly, it's like, you, would he be fired? You're like, yeah, of course he'd be fired. Like any reasonable person would fire him at that point. 
but he wasn't. But I kind of get the feeling that USC just and Lin Swan didn't want to fire him now, but next year it would be on the table. That's just my gut feeling on this. So what if they go eight and four and the offense looks way better, but just the team's still undisciplined? And I, I, I kind of feel like right now he could be fired at that point. Um, and I don't think they've changed enough. I think they're going to score more points and that's it'll be more fun to watch. They'll be better coached on that side of the ball, but they, they didn't, I don't think they're changing the culture and I don't think they're changing that overall stuff. Cause they just haven't made enough changes there. Just, you know, replacing basically one coordinator and a few other assistants isn't really enough. Um, I don't think it's going to be a great recruiting class. It might be the worst one that I've covered, like, you know, since rivals and all that stuff started, I, this might be, you know, usually they're always like averaging about a four star for recruits and they're not going to be anywhere near that this year. So I think there's a lot of factors that would be pretty good chance that he would be fired. The problem is USC opens with Alabama for some, I don't know why the heck they did that, but for 2020. So you might have another new head coach, just like Clay Helton taking over the team and starting off their career with Alabama. And uh, that's, that's never a good thing. No. Um, all right. We've got uh, Mike. You ready? Yeah. Pac-12 app. Hi, Ryan and Dave. You two went to some decent colleges and know a few things about the Pac-12. Please help me understand this. I can get the Pac-12 app on my phone or tablet and watch any live shows or video I want. I also have a Samsung, Samsung smart TV, but there is no Pac-12 app on there. Other than the usual Larry Scott's an idiot rant, why do you think this is so? It seems like the line between online shows and broadcast TV is blurring more and more. What's your insight? Keep up the good work and go Cougs, Mike in Oakland. Um, well, I know, so I'm not a super uh, technical developer type guy, but I know there's a big difference between developing the apps for all of these different devices. Um, and it can be, you know, maybe there's just not as much reason to do it. Um, I'm trying to think, I think it would maybe be, cause that's an anticipatory move. If the PAC 12 would put a lot of effort into app development for TVs in the last couple of years, just because they would have to have, have had to anticipate all of the cable cord cutting. Um, because if you have a tab TV and you have access to the PAC 12 network, wouldn't you just watch it on cable if you had cable? So I think it's. Hopefully they do that soon. Um, they should have apps. They should have the Pac-12 app on basically every smart device that can exist. Um, but I can understand them maybe not having it immediately um, over the last, you know, maybe it takes a while to develop. Maybe it takes, you know, a year or two. So I, hopefully that'll be coming soon. I read up on some of this and I, I think it was a, there was a question answered, like even maybe on the Pac-12 like Twitter feed or something. Cause you know, if you're a cord cutter and you, you have different apps, like Fox sports has an app or ESPN has an app. And if you, uh, you know, say you have cable at your house and you want to watch it on like a TV in your office or something, you can download the ESPN app or whatever and, and watch it there. Um, I believe it's on the, you know, I know there's one for Fox for sure. I think there's an ESPN one too. Um, but for whatever reason, yeah, there's not one with the PAC 12 and I think you have to have different ones for like if you have like an Amazon Fire Stick or you have a Roku yeah. box. I think they're different or Apple TV. I think there's differences there too. So maybe that's part of the problem. Oh, I know why it is, or I think I know. You can't buy the you can't get the Pac-12 network out of cart, right? 
Oh, you I can't. think that's, yeah, that's probably it too. So why would they make an app for you to use on your TV when you, if you have access to the app, if you're able to watch the Pac-12 network on the app, that means by definition you have or are pirating an account. <laughs> um, yeah. So they don't want to make it so that you can pirate your account on your TV, which should be hooked up to a cable connection if you have access to the Pac-12 network. So they don't use the Pac-12 app, but I have now that I have cut the cord because AT&T dropped uh, the Pac-12 network, um, I have a Sling TV app on my Roku TV, um, and that gives me access to the Pac-12 networks through the Sling TV app. But I think that's the idea is they're going to make their contracts with providers, but they're not yet director user, right? Uh, so you, that, so you that cut makes out, sense. Yeah, yeah. So you cut out AT&T now? Yeah, I'm done. Wow, now, nice. Not the game. Yeah, they, uh, it's, it's weird. Like, but yeah, in Sling, you get the regionals, but not the national one, right? I, I had Sling for I a little while. I don't know exactly. I basically just needed to watch the stupid UCLA game on Saturday, so I made a panic move. <laughs> um, so we'll see. We'll see what I end up doing in, in come football season. But for now, I, I just needed to watch these stupid UCLA basketball games. Nice. And it's good enough for that because it gives me the LA network, and they're always on the LA network. Okay. Uh, here's from Michael, old Michael, head coaching candidates. Hey, guys, I decided to take time off from trying to find quality wins among the Pac-12 basketball teams to think about the various type of people who are hired as head football coaches. I came up with the following models with some examples. Man, okay, he's got a lot of things here. One, uh, an internal assistant, Helton or Day at Ohio State, a failed professional head coach, Herm Pete Carroll, a fired head coach, Kevin Sublin, successful lower-tier coach, Mike McIntyre, Scott Frost, Tom Herman, top assistant from top program, Mel Tucker, um, proven uh, high-level coach like Urban Meyer, successful college coach who didn't do well in the pros, Nick Saban, Chip Kelly, current unproven head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, Rick Neuheisel, professional position coach, Carl Durrell, and 10, a proven head coach fired for torturing players, or however you would like to describe Mike Leach. Ouch. Have I missed any? Uh, I am not sure what to make of Gary Anderson. Which of these seem like, A, a great idea, B, an okay idea. C, a shot in the dark. D, a terrible idea. Thanks, old Michael. All right, let's start with the terrible ideas. Um, so one, it has two subcategories. Uh, a, is an internal assistant at a successful program, and B, is an internal assistant at an unsuccessful program. Right. Uh, B, is always bad. Always. Always. A, can be pretty good. Look at Dabo Swinney. So um, that yeah. one has to be divided. Yeah. Lincoln Riley, a hundred percent. Like that's good. Um, yeah. It, and if it, it could be, it could be a, a really successful assistant at, with a mediocre head coach. But when you're talking about like, like what USC did basically was promote a mediocre, like the, a mediocre assistant who coached for a mediocre at best head coach. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. It was the least smelly turd on the pile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, two, a failed professional head coach. Um, B, I'd say it's an okay idea. Yeah, yeah. Between B and C, an okay idea and a shot in the dark. Because you can also end up with like the Bill Callahan situation uh, at Nebraska. Um, but I think 
more recent examples have been generally more favorable. And it depends. Like my dad's a huge Patriots fan. He told me from the beginning is like Pete Carroll's more of a college guy. He's rah rah. He'll yeah. do well in college. So I think something like that, as opposed to there were some other coaches that just like failed in the NFL, but they didn't seem to have college personalities. Then it's probably more on the C to D scale. Um, three, a fired college head coach. Uh, that could be it any depends. Of those. Yeah, could yeah, be any that, that that's tough to gauge uh, broadly. Four, successful lower level coach McIntyre, Frost, Herman. This is one where I think it's between A and B. Generally, yeah. a great idea to an okay idea, depending on the coach. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Urban Meyer do well at what Bowling Green, then Utah. Yeah, like, yeah, I like when guys move up or Kansas State just. Um, hiring the, you know, whatever the guy won, like four national championships at FBS level or F FCS level, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, what you need is basically a guy, if you're at the lower level, basically what that means is you're probably a pretty good coach. Like you've probably got the chops to coach um, and coach guys up because you're not getting worldly, like, you know, high-level talent constantly. Um, and then the, the easier part, but the hard, like, the the part that takes more work, but it's actually technically easier, is the recruiting aspect. And so when these guys who are lower level good coaches move up, and as long as they're hard workers, um, they can turn into pretty good assist, uh, pretty good recruiters as well. So I think that one's that one's probably one of my top ones. If you can't hire the proven high level coach, okay, hire this the proven yeah. lower level coach. I like that. Uh, five top assistant from a top program. Uh, this is between B and C for me an okay idea and a shot in the dark. I think sometimes it can be a great idea. It just depends, but I, yeah, I, that probably more B than anything for me. Yeah. Uh, six proven high level coach. I mean, obviously it's an A. A. Yeah. Seven successful college coach who didn't do well in the pros. That's typically an A. Yeah. For the most part, uh, if they've already been a successful college coach, yeah. like that's why I'm confident that Chip Kelly will still do well. Right. Um, eight current unproven head coach D <laughs> a terrible idea, but not uh, with new Heisel though. I don't like that. He included him there cause he'd been a head coach a lot of places and Rose Bowl baby. Yeah, there you go. So he, he's not a D he's always, he's an a for me. He's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I almost, I almost vomited actually, uh, nine professional position coach, Carl Durrell. That's a uh, this is, this e. is a terrible idea. E. Always. <laughs> Nothing could be worse. Uh, well, he was the he was a wide receiver coach for the Broncos, though. So there's that. <laughs> and then a right? proven head coach. Yes, he was. He was. I was moving on, Ryan. I was moving on. But you're dragging me like a black hole back to my dark place. Um, Ten, a proven head coach fired for torturing players. Oh, God. Hey. Always a great idea. Always a great idea. That came up again. There was... um. What was, uh, who's it? Uh, Craig James was in, there was some, I read a story on Craig James. He's like a minister now. Like he went from, he was like Herb Street. Like if you don't remember, like he was like the Kirk Herb Street for ESPN. Um, and then just like everything just turned to crap, like pretty quickly. And ESPN like really backed him and kind of threw, that's why Mike Leach sued ESPN. Uh, our friend Bruce Feldman basically had to part ways with ESPN because of how that all went down. And uh, this it's kind of crazy how this how that you know his career just went he he had that failed uh, I think senatorial run uh, against who the heck did he run against um, Ted Cruz I think and just got smoked 
and said some really weird things. So there was it was a really interesting story I read pretty recently on the Craig James stuff. But Mike Leach looks pretty good from coming from there, and Craig James did not. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go with the he tortured people narrative uh, going on there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he was torturing anybody. No. Um, are you ready for Thomas? Sure. Did you know, dear Ryan and Dave? I heard your skepticism about my email last week describing the Pac-12 network as a pawn of Comcast. So I figured I'd provide a few more specifics to address your concerns. For example, did you know that the Pac-12 was headquartered in the same building in San Francisco as NBC Sports Bay Area? Comcast owns NBC, as you know. Note also, John Canzano never mentioned this after visiting the conference for his recent expose, by the way. Nevertheless, it's also worth noting that Comcast is the biggest source of revenue for the Pac-12 network because it is the dominant cable provider in the conference footprint. However, because this isn't the case in Southern California, most people assume DirecTV has more subscribers than they do. The common thread here, as are many challenges the Pac-12 experiences right now, is that there are far bigger institutional problems at play. This reality ought to become clear over the next couple of years as we get closer to the next TV deal and as Lynn Swan inexplicably continues to let Clay Helton coach USC. So I completely understand your skepticism and thank you again for having another blockbuster guest on your show. Have a wonderful holiday season from Thomas. P.S. I'm still looking for my dwarvish to English dictionary, Dave. I'm thinking it might be in storage. Yeah. Thank you. This is okay. I'm still getting a conspiracy theory um, vibe from this. So there's still like there's still a little bit of that vibe here. I think he's but I think he's got more to spell out, which I think will come in the next email. Because there's some stuff here that I think we're missing missing the connective tissue here. Because like saying like, well, they're in the same building as NBC Sports Bay Area, but Comcast owns NBC. Um, like knowing, like being part of 24-7 sports, like we're owned by CBS Interactive, um, you know, which is, you know, CBS is like the, the main thing. Uh which has nothing to do with like, if you watch like Sunday morning, the CBS like uh, show, we don't have anything to do with that. Like there's not there's like, there's yes, it's like part of the same company, but I don't see how that would, that just seems like a pretty, that's kind of a stretch to say, Oh, the NBC sports Bay area, you know, station is in the same building as the PAC 12 network. So that means that there's this like this great connection between uh, Comcast. And I, I don't, I don't buy that. No, I'm with you, but I'm waiting for uh, Thomas's next email. Oh, crap. I'll, so you're I'll like, no, 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 no. I think it's coming. Oh, okay. I'm not saying it's here yet. I'm just waiting. Nice. I think we're going to get another explainer. I think we're going to go further down this well, and I'm excited for it. Happy holidays to you as well, Thomas. Yeah. Um, all right. What's next? I think we, we just have a text message. Is that all that's left? That's all that's left. Okay. Uh, we got a text. Hello. You joke that Jake Browning will return next year. So yeah, he's a, is he a sophomore or a junior, Dave? He's got one more year I, left, right? I thought he was a freshman. Okay. <laughs> we do joke that, uh, whoever this text message is from. Uh, but I don't think it is a joke. If he is unlikely to be drafted, another year of free school to compete, I'm sorry, to complete a master's degree could be the best thing for him. With the new redshirt rule, he can still play four more games at Husky Stadium and really segment his place in Pac-12 history as well. Would be good for whoever is competing for quarterback, knowing if they aren't working their hardest week in and week out, one of the top 10 all-time Pac-12 quarterbacks is behind them, waiting to steal the big game from them. It'd be top 10 this year, quarterbacks, not all-time, right, in the Pac-12? Right. 
Okay. Right. So just a correction there. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, I don't believe that the red shirt rules is 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 retroactive, but it doesn't matter anyway because as we determined earlier, Jake Browning is an incoming freshman. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't see any problem. How how upset do you think like your average Washington fan would be? If if like it was determined that Jake Browning got another year of eligibility, because it seems like even the ones who are like putting up with this are like tolerating it, like barely tolerating it, just saying, OK, all right, now he's gone. Now we can have another Jake. We can have a different Jake. Yeah. And and it just and and Mr. Browning gets another. You're wor- That'd be I, beautiful. I'm curious to see like even spring football or just like the first game and just see like a, a quarterback with just better tools out there doing things and like what Washington fans were going, Oh my God, like this is crazy. Uh, that they could be really good next year. Like with Jacob Eason. Like I, I think yeah. they could, you know? Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, in show last week, we didn't notice this, but I have to acknowledge it now. Um, we got an email from Blake Harrison. Uh, if you want to pull that one up, um, I, I want to reread this one. Okay. Let me, uh, one second. I will pull it up. I just want you to be looking at it as I read it. All right. Uh, where? Let's it's see. from December 7th, Friday, December 7th. Blake Harrison says, bye-bye, Jake. Okay. He says, bye-bye, Jake. Browning is gone. Sorry to ruin your fun, Dave. On to the first UW QB competition in four years. All right. Now, now here's where it gets subtle. Right now, everyone has Eason penciled in as the starter, but Hawk was also a heavily pursued recruit, four-star recruit. Okay. So, Hawk. Who's Hawk? Yes, Eason has the cannon arm and he's huge, but Mike Hawk, my <laughs> Hawk, isn't that small and is arguably the more heady type of player. So Mike Hawk doesn't exist. And that was a uh, good, good, good email. Nice. Because we neither of us, neither of us noticed that in show. No. At all. I didn't notice until somebody pointed it out to me later that we had said that. I didn't, so, I didn't know that either. Well, like, you know, Jacob Eason and I, we were talking about the other guys. We were like, oh, there's uh, Peter Serbin's like kid or cut like. Yeah. And I was like, some. I've never heard of this. My cock. Yeah. <laughs> we go. got Bart Simpson. <laughs> we got Bart Simpson pretty hard, <laughs> which is so awesome. Ferocious. <laughs> It's so good. You know, I got to play this one for you guys too. Just since, uh, nice job there. Uh, was it Blake that did that? Was it Blake? Um, nice. It was. It was quote unquote Blake. I nice. think I know the culprit. Oh. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> I'll play that sound for you, uh, quote unquote Blake, because that was a, that was a good one. Yeah, so good. Uh, anyway, that was John Canzano from last week, if you remember. And uh, Champagne Larry is a great thing. Yeah, it truly is. It's a beautiful uh, thing. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And it, yeah, if you want to, so if you want to try to get us, it's a great, it, send us an email closer to our recording time because by then, oh, yeah. two hours in, we're like, we definitely haven't read it before and we are running on fumes. So um, it, anything will get by us. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> try, try, try more and try often. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> I don't like. I don't know that. I guess there's some other recruit they got, but <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh, whatever. I guess I don't know their entire depth chart. Right. I, I don't. don't I haven't studied the whole. Rec- I, but I I knew because they had two like elite eleven quarterbacks, and I know that wasn't one of either one of them. And I you knew Jacob Eason, so I'm like, oh, some other guy they signed. I guess I don't know. Um, <laughs> I would have you know you recognize the other names, which I like. I wouldn't know. Like uh, Oregon State's, like who, what quarterbacks they got, you know, like you, you remember some of them and you're following this, but that, that was kind of funny. Yep. Well, hey, I don't know if we're ever going to have three episodes in a row with like that kind of powerful guest. So um, that's pretty good. I'm on good. this show every week. Be- besides you, uh, it's it's good. It was good to have uh, some, some new blood, like everyone said. So hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, Wilner. Uh, where would you rank the guests? Like, who was the best? Who was the worst? Dude? Oh, God. <laughs> That's like choosing my children. Yes. Um, no, they're all they're all great. And they all bring something different to the table. And we don't get a lot of that. There's not... I'm sure in the SEC, there's like a million people that just cover the conference. We just don't have that uh, here. So we're lucky to have guys that do it as well as they do. Uh, you know, Kyle and, and John and John. So... Uh, thanks to all them for coming in, John. Especially this episode, John Wilner. Um, we got to give him a. I, didn't, I I feel bad. I didn't give the other guys applause, but I didn't think of it. But those, uh, he was great, and uh, hopefully, you you enjoyed that part and then tolerated the rest. Yeah, that's all we can ask. Tolerate <laughs> us and rate us five stars on iTunes. Yes, please do that. And uh, like we said, we'll do Wednesday, the day after Christmas. We'll record another episode. Will there be? Um, actually no bowl games, right? Until then. So we'll preview more games. Then, um, we've already previewed the, uh, cheese it bowl and then we'll go forward. There'll be a whole bunch of bowls. Like, so right after Christmas, between Christmas and new year's, put your PAC 12 hat on and just watch PAC 12 bowl games. See how the teams do. Hopefully they do better. And then obviously, uh, the Rose bowl. I might go to that one, David, I'm going to get tickets to the parade. I've never done the parade. Have you done that before? No. You've zero, zero. That sounds like you have zero interest in the parade. Uh, zero interest. I actually, well, I shouldn't say that. I worked the parade um, in high school. Oh, um, okay. And, uh, I helped, I think I helped cut roses. I think. I don't know. It was something in one of the like key club type things that they have at school. Gotcha. I, I was in, it was Interact, was the version I was in. And it was. Uh, it was fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't grow up here, but I've, you know, I've been out in Los Angeles a long time, but I've never been to the parade. I'm not a huge, I don't like watch parades. I'm not a huge fan, but like, I think it'd be cool to just experience that going once. But if you did that as a kid, it's like, yeah, who cares? Yeah. I, so uh, that's a thing with me. And, and I, I, I don't think I'm like a full on like old man curmudgeon, but a lot of the things about LA that like people are like, Oh wow, I really want to do that. Or I really want to spot a celebrity or, or whatever. And I'm just like, no, no. Who wants to do any of that? <laughs> like you want to go to a, you want to go to like one of the like premieres of a movie. Why, why, what would you, why? And yeah, that's just, I, I, I don't really get that. Interesting. Like why, why anybody would ever want to spend any time on Hollywood Boulevard, like Hollywood and Highland is beyond me. Just completely beyond me. Yeah. I mean, we end up doing that a lot. Like Pac-12 media day is always there, but like I, you know, maybe once every three years I'll go to like a Jimmy Kimmel show or something. I, I enjoy that. Like that's kind of fun. Just to, something you can do here that you can't really do. You know, you can maybe do in New York and that's about it. Um, I yeah. kind of like doing yeah. that. Uh, yeah. the Star Wars, like, 
you know, Star Wars, when it originally opened in 77 or whatever it was, like played at the Chinese theater for a year straight. And so I've tried to watch the new, when the new ones come out, even when I, I lived in the Bay area and I flew down for like one of the re-releases or something. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I like now, you know, now it's owned by Disney. So going to the El Capitan, um, but I, you know, the last new one that came out, I went to uh Chinese theater on opening weekend and I, that, that was like fun for me. People are dressed up in costumes. I, you know, I'm in the, the, the beach cities. I'm never up in Hollywood, but doing that, you know, once or twice a year, I kind of like doing it. It's kind of a fun thing to do or go to a club because a friend is performing or something. You know, it's, I, I like doing that, but it's just not very often, I guess. Yeah. Well, different know. strokes, but you don't still different strokes. Yeah. No, and uh, honestly, I would I would much rather see any movie in like an arc light. Really, you know, sit in a sit in a comfortable seat, or like an AMC. Now all AMCs have recliners. It's yeah. great, love that. But just the history, I, I just kind of oh, I don't care. I don't care. You don't all. care, like not even like I I couldn't even bring myself to care. I couldn't even bring <laughs> myself to care enough to let you finish that sentence. Like I could not do it. And <laughs> yeah, that's fine, you know. Um. <laughs> Just what it, it does not matter. Do we have, but, shouldn't there be a Star Wars movie coming out? Don't they come out in December? What happened? Here? I think the next one is uh, May. It did May. Didn't they, did they do like solo in May? It just didn't I do. think they skipped one. Uh, I think they, they, didn't they cancel one? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't follow. I mean, I like them, but I just don't, I don't follow like. Oh those. no. Uh, episode nine isn't until next December. So I don't think there's anything coming out in between because I think uh, Solo did pretty poorly okay. or relatively poorly compared to its expectations. Um, yeah, yeah, we never talked about that on the show. I don't think so we talked had, about Last Jedi, but not Solo. So they did. So what was the what was Episode Seven? Was that um, Last? Episode Seven was uh, The Force Awakens. Okay. And then Episode Eight was The Last Jedi. So they did seven. And then they did like Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And then, so they had like something in between, but there was like two years between the actual episodes. Right. Right. But then the solo one kind of came at a weird time in the middle. And it just, like you said, didn't do well. So maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I still haven't seen solo. Did you see it or no? I did. And eh, yeah. It was, it was, it was fine. Like it was just fine. He's my like, like favorite was, character, so you'd think I'd like it, but I don't know. I honestly, he was not the bad part. I thought the actor was good. I thought most of the acting was good. It was just the story was kind of bloated and weird, and it gave him some weird motivations, and it kind of diminished. Uh, uh, I could get into this whole thing. I thought it <laughs> diminished his 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 arc from the main series because it basically set up all of that good guy conflict inside of him early when I thought it should have been playing him should have been playing him more as a more, more on the scoundrel side of things. Um, Trying to find some good. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like that, that conflict, that internal conflict was there from the beginning. So it just kind of changed the way you think about the character. Um, So I don't know. Uh, It was fine. It was a fine, you know, little movie. And, uh, it obviously needed to be bigger than that. This is a preview of what we'll be talking about in like May. <laughs> <laughs> when there's nothing going on. This is what we talked about. There was soccer takes. There was all. <laughs> we don't have the World good. Cup to beat up on. 
That's true. It was it was kind of fun. So if you didn't, you know, if you didn't listen to the last off season, if you're new to the show, you know, there's not as much going on. So we try to answer as many questions as we can. We had all these weird topics and Star Wars and soccer and all that stuff was kind of one of them. So sorry for the tangent there late in the game. You probably don't need that at the two hour and 13 minute mark. But, you know, we digress. All right, David, I'll let you go. That's uh, David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Together, we're the podcast of champions. We do appreciate you listening to our little show, and we will talk to you next time.